Hi, this is Big Sal. I just want to dedicate this show, our, our show, with our Plant Horror, with uh, uh, some horrible news. A very, very close friend of mine passed away this morning, so I'd like to dedicate this uh, Plant Horror episode for Bruce Evans. Uh, he was a great man. Uh, God bless him. Ladies and gentlemen, do you have a house plant sitting in the corner of your house, in a corner of a room that's dark and dreary and the plant looks kind of sad and depressing, dying and decaying? Well, secretly, it's trying to kill you! And you're going to learn all about it. You're going to learn why, because today we're talking about plant horror. Mike here with... Big Sal. And... Sam Samino. Before we start... We got to thank you all for streaming, listening, and subscribing to us on Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, iTunes, and YouTube. And don't forget, we got that email. Sam, what's the email? Last three rows of horror at gmail.com. Drop us a line. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to jump right into this. It's January 2024. So, Happy New Year. And we're going to begin talking about plant horror. Take it away, Sam. Hey, Mikey. Yes. Before we give it to Sammy. Yes. Is this going to be a, a kind of a seedy kind of episode? Get it? CD. CD. Get it? That's a little, that's a little plant humor, Mikey. <laughs> Shut up. Yes, sir. <laughs> All right. Wow. Okay. <laughs> oh, yes. Bring on the dad jokes. <laughs> Great start to this Bring series. them on. <laughs> CD. <sighs> okay, so although we like to think of ourselves as masters of Earth with power over nature, our stories point to a fear that is ever-present. And all that plant life offers us in terms of the air we breathe, the medicines we create, the structures in which we reside, and the very pages on which we keep our own histories, stories, and secrets, we regard it as a retreat from death, a means to stave off an inevitability. So yet, these plants, these woods which we run into to escape death, can often be seen as co-conspirators in our own demise. The use of plants in horror cinema taps into a primal aspect of human psychology, transforming the ordinary into the domain of the uncanny. Typically, symbols of life and growth, plants in horror movies are reimagined as agents of fear and danger. This inversion plays on our innate discomfort with the familiar becoming unfamiliar. So turning behind greenery into sinister threats, the quiet and often static nature of plants contrasts with the more traditional, dynamic antagonists of horror, leading a unique and eerie atmosphere to films that utilize them. So films like Day of the Triffids and The Little Shop of Horrors exemplify how plants can become central characters, embodying both the terror of the unknown and the horror of the natural world turned malevolent. So this uh, unsettling role of plants in horror also draws from a cultural and historical associations. In various mythologies, plants have been depicted as sacred yet dangerous, possessing powers beyond human understanding. So this duality is effectively exploited in horror cinema where plants can signify life and death simultaneously, 
The use of plants in this genre also often mirrors contemporary environmental anxieties, reflecting societal fears about nature's revenge against human exploitation. The horror genre, therefore, uses plants not just for their immediate visual and atmospheric impact, but also as a narrative tool to explore deeper themes of ecological imbalance, the unknown aspects of the natural world, and the fine line between nurturing and devouring aspects of nature. So uh, plants also play a pivotal role in shaping atmosphere and evoking emotions, contributing to the creation of a spooky or mysterious setting, and often transforming familiar landscapes into haunting scenes like dark forests with thick obstructive vines. So plants can also serve as symbols with poisonous uh, varieties of sharp thorns and indicative of danger or fear. Additionally, they provide convenient hiding spots for monsters or other scary creatures, adding an element of surprise and suspense. In some films, plants themselves become terrifying entities, possessing strange abilities such as movement or trapping people, thereby becoming characters in their own right in the narrative of horror. So uh, one of the um, sources we got for today is uh, The Trouble with the Trees, The Growth of Plant Horror. This is an article I found in uh, a Fangoria magazine here. This is by Richard Newby, this article. This kind of kicked off this whole plant series for us. <laughs> this is uh, from the January 2023, um, Volume 2, Issue 18, by the way. I got to say, that was a great intro, man. But you know what you need to, like, you need like a song to underscore everything you were talking about. I think the song should be The Trees by Rush. The tr trouble with the trees. That's uh, yeah. that actually that's uh, the name of the article. There's <laughs> trouble in the forest. And by the way, that poster is right oh, behind Mike. That uh, I got that uh, <laughs> the uh, Fangoria one. Nice w one. Was Street a one with uh, what's his name? The blonde haired gang. Viggo Mortensen. Oh, uh, not him. Ari uh, Mihailov was Leatherface. Ken Faree was in it. I can't think of the, the good looking guy, the blonde guy. Viggo Mortensen. Viggo Mortensen. Yeah. Oh, okay. Then it wasn't that one. The one where he used remotes. No, that's McConaughey. That was uh, Next yeah, Generation. Yeah, no, that's no, the worst one of them. No, no, no. What number is that? Is that four? Two? That's four. Yes. And and what's her name was in it? Um, Zellweger. Renee Zellweger. Renee Zellweger. Yeah, the two of them. <laughs> <laughs> the two of them made that I think before Dazed and Confused, and then they both appeared in. That Dazed was and Confused. before Dazed and Confused. Mike? Dazed and Confused was ninety three. I think Next Generation, Texas Chainsaw, Next Generation. I think that came out maybe the same year, although in Days to Confuse, Renelle Zayweger has no speaking roles. She just appears briefly, maybe twice in the film. I, I knew she was in it, but uh, uh, you know, as many times as I've seen that film, I can't, can't, I can't find her. <laughs> yeah, no, she's, she just like walks by. <laughs> oh, okay. And, or she might be like in the back of a pickup truck, but she has okay. no speaking role in wow. Days to Confuse. And now look at both these, both these actors. Well, she's kind of not around much anymore. You know why, right? Too much plastic surgery? Mm-hmm. I bet. That damn surgery, man. I bet. It'll make you or break you in Hollywood. Yeah. Okay, Sam, take it away. Back to you. <laughs> oh, I thought that, you know. Back to you. Spaced out for a minute there. Yes. So uh, another one of our uh, sources for this episode is uh, Plant Horror, Approaches to the Monstrous Vegetal in Fiction and Film. This is kind of uh, like Veg a... <laughs> I thought you said vaginal. Vegetal. Yeah, vegetal. Va the monstrous hey, vaginal. I got something on my mind. <laughs> I don't know, but did you, dudes... You, you know some trees veggies. some trees creep me the fuck out not veggies veggies okay i feel you but did, did you get that feeling mikey what's that some trees freak me out dude remember the fucking tree from poltergeist that's that's <laughs> one of them that's one of them but but you know where it all started we're gonna with? cover that one eventually yeah. yeah i think maybe episode three yeah you know you know where you know where i knew that sooner or later they were gonna make something out of this there was this series 
in the very early 70s, uh, Sigmund and the Sea Monster, and also H.R. Puff and stuff, and the trees came alive. <laughs> that was terrifying as a child. Uh, you know what? Terrifying. The Wizard of Oz, those trees were throwing apples? Yes. Yes. It's very terrifying when you think of something that can't move, number one, and is so humongous, number two, and so old. Have you ever fallen out of a tree? Yes. Many times. I, I knew that was coming. I met, dude, Cleon fucking climbs so fucking high. I gotta go get him sometimes. You know, oh, Sal's falling out of some monkey. trees. My trap monkey. Uh, uh, you know, I'm gonna ask Sammy. Sammy, do you know how to uh, tell how old the tree is? By the rings? Correct. You chop it and you see how many rings are on that, on that uh, fucking stump. I thought I'd stump him on that one. A little but bit more plenty for Mikey. Do you know how to count the leaves? I mean, the rings, though? No, sir. There, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start reading the lyrics but, to the trees. Please but, continue, Sam. But, but you know, but you know what though, Sammy? There's been so many terrifying scenes where you know, uh, whether it be an alien or uh, uh, a ghost or a bat or a vampire, where the trees were hitting the window. Or they're hiding behind him like the Wolfman, one of the greatest uh, movies ever made. He's behind that tree. It's terrifying. Some trees are terrifying. What? Look at my Godzilla guy. Remember I showed you that scene <laughs> the tree is shaped like Godzilla? Of course. Ooh. We're going to get into a Godzilla movie right. too here. All right. Let's hear it, Sammy. Mike's over there snickering. I don't know if he got something. Uh... <laughs> I don't know. I have, I'm looking at the lyrics to The Trees by Rush. I'll, I'll wait to read these. You continue, please. <laughs> right. we, got, we got to begin this episode. <laughs> All right. Well, there are uh, far too many literary examples of horrific plants over the centuries, but one that is cited as being important to the horror genre is Jean-Paul Sartre's Nausea from 1938, where an encounter with a chestnut tree serves as a crucial moment of ex- <laughs> existential revelation. What is that up on, on the upper left? And that's an old, I think it's a, it's a fucking dolly painting. Yeah. Oh, that's weird looking. Yeah, definitely. What? What is it? <laughs> it's a Salvador Dali painting. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought it was the bottom half of somebody. I, that's what I yeah. thought too. I was like, man, he it's needs like a, a, like a crotch. He needs a stomach uh, reduction. <laughs> also, his eyes are going. There's one eye is going in the completely off to the side. I there. seen that. I seen <laughs> He's like that. A that's an eye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe it might have been fake. I, I don't know. I don't know too much I, I about did too. Star I thought it was a belly yeah. button. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was a I thought, and, 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 and underneath there, I thought that was a really bad tattoo or a bad shave job he did. I think it's like an amoeba, dude. Oh, okay. I feel you. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, Jean-Paul Sartre's Nausea from 1938. Uh, there's an encounter with a chestnut tree that serves as a crucial moment of existential revelation for the protagonist, Antoine Roquentin. Uh, struggling with a deep sense of existential dread described as nausea, Roquentin's interaction with the tree in a park becomes a pivotal experience. As he touches the tree's root, he is struck by a raw, vivid perception of its mere existence. This moment brings him face-to-face with the brute reality of being, an existence that stands devoid of any inherent meaning, purpose, or narrative. So this encounter encapsulates key existentialist concepts. Uh, It illustrates Sartre's idea that existence precedes essence, highlighting the notion that things exist without inherent meaning and any significance they possess is imposed by human consciousness. So it also confronts Roquentin and the reader with the absurdity of existence, revealing a world where life's inherent meaninglessness renders the human quest for significance both tragic and absurd. 
So this realization brings with it a sense of freedom, albeit a daunting one, where Will Quentin recognizes the responsibility of creating his own meaning in an indifferent universe. So the chestnut tree episode in nausea thus poignantly captures the essence of existential realization, marking a profound intellectual and emotion turning point in the narrative. So uh, Roquentin's tree is a 12th century literary's uh, supreme image of alienation, unknowability, disruption, and primordial horror. So considering Sartre's vast impact on the cultural imagination of the post-war period, uh, it's not surprising that popular films of the period portray vegetation in its Sartrean mode. I, I just gotta say, there's a lot going on in this painting here. I, I'm focusing on all oh, yeah. these different things. Are these breasts or are they green olives? Uh, let's say both, yeah. Uh, right. Green olive titties. Yes. <laughs> I'm all for that. Did you catch that? I, 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 There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on in that painting. I'm, the guy's freaking me out, though. He's freaking me out a little bit too much. You know, anybody that wears a sweater like that. Did you that, hear anything? <laughs> you guys just fixated on the fucking painting. I'm telling you, Salvador Dali's got me going. Dude, look at his eye. It's like all the way that way and his pipe. And what's with the scarf? Sal. Yeah. What? What do you call someone who has sex with trees? I don't know. Dendrophiliac. You know how I know that? How do you know that? Because I watched the film Can't Hardly Wait. Moving on. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, in fact, the uh, the entire subgenre of plant horror, including such benchmark films such as The Thing from Another World, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and Day of the Triffids, can be understood as subsequent iterations of Roquentin's disturbing encounter with the chestnut tree. So uh, let's get into our first film here, The Thing from Another World. Da-ding. So, yeah. so in the 1951 science fiction film, The Thing from Another World, which is arguably the first major alien invasion film of the 1950s, plants play a significant role in the plot as the alien creature that is a central antagonist of the film is a plant-based organism. Uh, directed by Christian Nimby and produced by Howard Hawks, the film tells the story of a group of scientists and military personnel who discover a crashed alien spaceship in the Arctic and the deadly alien creature that is unleashed as a result. So, uh, was, uh, I'm sorry, what was the year? This was uh, 1951. This was 51. from okay. yeah, 51. So uh, pictured here, we have uh, Howard Hawks. Um, basically, uh, while Christian Nimby is credited as the director, many believe that the producer, Howard Hawks, actually directed most, if not all, of the film based on the film's style and pacing, which are characteristic of Hawks' other works. So some members of the cast and crew have also stated that Hawks had a significant hand in directing. But um, in a 1952 interview, uh, someone asked Nimby about it, and he was like, that's ridiculous. Like, I studied under him for so long. Of course, like, you know, I would copy his same techniques. So is he mainly known for directing or producing? Howard Hawks? Yeah. I think a little bit of both. Okay. Yeah. Was he kind of like Roger Corman of his time? I would think so, yeah. Mm, Yeah, definitely. Gotcha. Yeah, so the rumor is rather insulting since Nimby proved himself more than capable going on to have a prolific television and movie career from the 1950s to the 1970s. After editing Hawks' next film after The Thing, uh, The Big Sky, Nimby turned to television, directing uh, the sitcom Private Secretary, which ran for four years. Is that Lucia Ball? Uh, no, but it looks a lot like it her. Looks I like her, the same yeah. thing. Uh, yeah. I forget who exactly it is, the actress But he also directed episodes of uh, The Twilight Zone, I Spy, Lassie, Gomer Pyle, USMC, Adam-12, Bill Cosby, Cosby, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, it was at um, 
I Spy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So uh, also Perry Mason, The Six Billion Dollar Man, Ironside, Kojak, The Rockford Files, uh, Gunsmoke, Bonanza, Damn. Wagon Train, Whispering Smith, and Raw. He Rawhide. did all those? Yeah. yeah. Dude, that's also, a lineup. He also Rawhide. did uh, four more feature films, um, The Hell on Devil's Island, Young Fury, Operation CIA, which was the first lead role for Burt Reynolds, and uh, also First to Fight. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Pretty incredible. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> People have some incredible careers like back then, just directing yeah. insane amounts of shit. Mm-hmm. And different. Yeah. You know, I mean, man. Well, back Whew. then you couldn't be dedicated to one genre. You had to do it all. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, um, the movie was based on the novella Who Goes There by John W. Campbell Jr. Originally, the script featured an inhuman-looking creature looking almost exactly like the novel's creature, which was blue-skinned with three eye- three red eyes and a sucker mouth and stringy hair, but the budget resulted in a simpler-looking alien. So the most defining trait of the creature in the book is its ability to assimilate and imitate any living form it comes into contact with. This ability extends to the copying not just the physical appearance, but also the behaviors and memories of the organism it imitates, making it nearly impossible to distinguish from the original. So this is uh, followed a little more closely in John Carpenter's 1982 remake, uh, which we'll be getting to in a minute here. Most of the film's plot unfolds at an Arctic U.S. monitoring station staffed by military personnel and scientists. When an alien craft uh, crash lands nearby, members of the group dig out and return the frozen alien, um, who soon thaws out and lays siege to the station. The guy in the back there, he's the alien. He played the, the one of the crew and the alien. He was he was a very tall guy, big guy. That tall guy? Yeah. He mm-hmm. the guy in the back there with his jacket open, that's the alien. Oh, he yeah. did a double roll. Yeah. Awesome fucking fact when this I found that out. Yeah. Yeah. So part of what makes this uh highly evolved and intelligent alien so fearsome and other is uh what makes it the thing, basically, is uh is that it's distinctively plant based in its characteristics. As uh Sason's chief scientist, Dr. Carrington explains. The aliens kind of merged as plant life and evolved along the same lines as animal life had done on Earth. Biologically, what marks it as plant and other is, as one of the scientists describes, its porous, unconnected cellular growth, which allows, for example, bullets to pass through it without killing it, and it's able to regenerate itself and grow new cells rapidly, making it nearly impossible to kill. In addition, the alien lacks arterial structures, nerve endings, and blood, Exhibiting instead in a sap-like green fluid, thorns, and seed pods. You know who the actor that uh, portrayed the thing was? Who that guy is? The big guy? Yeah. No. It was uh, James Arnis, also known as Matt Marshall Matt Dillon on the long-running oh. TV series Gunsmoke. Okay. Uh, I feel you. I think uh, my dad would probably know that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the seed pods, in turn, uh, uh, have an alien system of species propagation. As Dr. Carrington admittedly expla- admiringly explains... The neat and unconfused reproductive technique of vegetation, no pain or pleasure as we know it, no emotions, no heart, are superior in every way. So its lack of emotion uh, allows it to kill members of the staff without compunction in order to feed its young, which require not water and sunlight, but the blood of living organisms, including animals and humans. That's what you're seeing there. Love it. Love it. You see, have you seen this movie a lot? Yes, I, lo- I love watching this now, every once in a while. Maybe like once. Now, now the guy that played the creature that I showed you in the back, uh-huh. he was also in. Um, he was also in this uh, really good movie, Gunsmoke. Uh, <laughs> he was in. This, he was in. He was with um, uh, Alan Ladd and Shane. He pl- he played one of the one of the bad guys in the bar. Shane was good. I, I, like I love Shane. Shane. Yeah. Love Shane. 
But 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 you know what, Mike? Just knowing that what Sammy just showed us that that's blood in the IV bags. Mm. Wow, Scott, that's scary. Wood plants, man. They just think about it. One tiny itty bitty seed made a freaking tree. Oh yeah. I mean, it's incredible, man. You you see something that could live hundreds of years, be big enough for cars to drive through, through a little freaking seed. You know what Owen Wilson would say? What do you say? Wow. 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 All right. Well, throughout the film, the scientists and military personnel struggle to contain the alien and prevent it from spreading and consuming all the human inhabitants of the research station. They discover that the alien is vulnerable to fire and attempt to burn it to prevent it from spreading. Uh, the scene uh, where the alien is set aflame and repeatedly doused with buckets of kerosene as he attacks the group was one of the first full-body fire stunts ever filmed. That is, that, that, that is badass looking. It is. I mean, this Fuck is a famous yeah. scene. Now you're talking oh, yeah. in the 50s. I mean, the danger of some of these oh, guys with the God, fire. Yeah. This has got to be my favorite fire. They're literally just throwing buckets, like, and the actors are right there. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I mean. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't dude, look right safe there. at all. But no, no way. It looks amazingly done. I mean, look at they had to touch the mattresses, dude. These guys could have gotten very easily burnt. Yeah, oh, that yeah. W- that female actress was just right behind there, and they threw a bucket of kerosene on fire. Dude, they doused the shit yeah. out of that dude. Mm-hmm. See, there he is. Look at how big he is. Big actor, man. Wow. He's like, did you see that? I just ran through here. Yeah. Dude, <laughs> what do you think is your favorite? Do you have any other favorite fire stunts? There was a good uh, one. The new Halloween had a good uh, one in it. The first of the remakes. I, I, you know, the ones that Kane Hunter used to do. Uh, yeah. Pretty damn good. Yeah. Un- unfortunately, the best fire scenes I ever seen was, uh, uh, unfortunately, not a horror, horror film, was the, the movie with Kurt Russell when he was the fireman. Oh, Backdraft. Backdraft. Yeah. That was the most amazing fire, you know, work with fire I've ever seen. Amazing! Some of some of the some of the, the colors in the flame and and the way it was crawling around and and the one guy said, yeah, it's alive and and, and it's taking over the buildings and stuff like that. I, I think that was one of the best fire scenes I've ever seen. Yeah, Halloween too, when he's in the hospital and he's on fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty, yeah, pretty yeah. good. That pretty was good. an awesome one. Yeah, because um, they blinded him. Right, they blinded him, and he was he was yeah. using that surgical knife. Um, and, and yeah, she like stabs him in yeah. the eyes. Is yeah. that uh, is that Dick Warlock was the stuntman? Yes, yeah, I believe that was him. Dick Warlock. Yeah. All right. Well, the role of plants in the thing from another world is significant because it reflects the fear and uncertainty that people had during the Cold War era about the potential for alien invasions and the danger of nuclear weapons. The idea that a seemingly harmless plant could transform into a deadly and unstoppable creature reflected the fear that unknown forces could be lurking among us waiting to strike. The film also took full advantage of the national feelings in America at the time in order to help enhance the horror elements of the film's storyline by reflecting a post-Hiroshima skepticism about science and prevailing negative views of scientists who meddle with things better left unknown. So uh, the character of a reporter Ned Scotty Scott, played by Douglas <laughs> Spencer, was likely inspired by real-life war correspondent Ernie Pyle, pictured center here. Uh, Pyle was known for being embedded with troops during World War II and providing a first-hand account of the war. Uh, another side of the times, the scene where uh, Scotty mentions being at the very real 1928 execution of Ruth Snyder and Judd Gray. The couple were tried and convicted of the murder of Snyder's husband in 1927 and were executed in New York by the electric chair. Another character asks him if he was able to get a picture of it, and Scotty answers, no, they didn't allow cameras. <laughs> 
But one guy, <laughs> and he's interrupted before the thing, before he can finish his sentence. But who he was referring to with the one guy comment was Chicago Tribune reporter, uh, I'm sorry, photographer Tom Howard, who smuggled a miniature camera into the execution chamber with him, uh, straight to his ankle, and was able to take a famous photograph of Snyder's final moments in the electric chair. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> Mike, Mike, what, what do you, what do you how think? Do you, how do you get past? I mean, don't doesn't that stick out? It had to be sticking yeah. out of his leg. How do they not notice what that? What do you dudes? What do you dudes? How do you do? How do you dudes feel about the electric chair? Do you do you really really feel like that was an inhumane thing to do to somebody? Fuck no! Bring it back and then some. I'm I'm with you on that. Burn Bundy, burn, <laughs> burn Bundy, burn. <laughs> the fact that Illinois got rid of it is amazing. To does, me. Does, does do we still have it anywhere, Mike? There's, well, yes, some states. Uh, the only state, and I could be wrong on this, but for the longest time, the only state that was left where you could still get hung was New Hampshire. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm hung in Illinois. So. Damn. <laughs> Down into the Damn. left. Damn. A little bit. Hooks to the left. A little bit. Man, there were some horror stories, though, of like them fucking up executions. Oh, like, yeah. Dude, yeah. Just f- heads oh, yes. br- f- set aflame. Well, look yeah. at Green Mile. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. Yep. Brutal, brutal stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, the creature is eventually defeated using a combination of ingenuity and electricity. The human characters, led by Captain Patrick Hendry, devise a plan to trap the creature and kill it with a high voltage electric shock. The plan involves luring the alien into a space where they have set up a trap. They then uh, lay out a grid of electrical cables on the floor, carefully concealed. And when the creature steps onto this grid, they activate the electricity. The high voltage ven- uh, effectively execu- electrocutes the creature, rendering it immobile and finally killing it. That was an amazing scene. Amazing. Absolutely. Pretty cool for 1951. He, he fucked up that dude. He fucked up that alien, man. Uh. Bad. There was some, yeah, really great, like, you know, special. I mean, it's not the greatest there ever was, but it's fucking cool. Just a thought and the theory behind everything that they do in the 50s films. That's why I love black and white yeah. films, man. Most people don't even know that Carpenter's The Thing is is a remake of that film. Yeah. That yeah. blew me away when we were at the convention and that little kid stood up and said that this is his favorite <laughs> film. You remember yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, good, good parenting right there. Could you imagine getting fucked up by a plant, though? There's a lot of guys. There's a lot of things I'm afraid of, but a plant, a plant fucking you up. Venus flytrap, dude. Hey, let me ask you this: Have you ever gotten like poison ivy, oak, or sumac? Uh, poison ivy, I did once. What? What is it? How many leaves? Three. 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 Yeah. <laughs> there's yeah. that old Simpsons episode where Homer's explaining to Bart. He says, "Leaves of three, let it be. Leaves, leaves of four, eat some more." <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I, I've had poison ivy when I was a kid, dude. It I sucked. had it once. It oh sucked. my god! I had to go to the doctor. And, yeah, uh, put that aloe lotion on you or whatever yep. the fuck they gave you. I think mm. I had it once when I was little, and that's about it. Yeah. Oh, but uh, Venus flytrap. I had a Venus flytrap. That'd, that'd be the way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. The, the greatest was in in Aliens when when that doctor fucking knew that if he cut it a little, it'll paralyze you. Fucking that was weird shit, dude. <laughs> That was some weird shit. Was that Prometheus? No. Which one was uh, that? The one with the guy with the big nose. It was Predators. It was Predators. Oh, oh Adrian yeah. Brody. Well, yeah. Yeah. The yeah. guy with the big nose. Adrian the guy Brody. With the, the guy with the big honker. Yeah. 
That fucked me up, man. He he put a little on there. He put a little on a surgical knife, and he fucking cut a, a chick and a couple other people. Man, that just oh that me. no that was Topher Grace because he was the serial killer. Remember? Yes. No, no, no. Uh, I know. I just met, I just didn't know that dude's act, actor. You know what, what his name was because he was in uh, the eighties film, right? This that seventy show. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, yeah. the eighties show. That seventy show. Yeah, there was an eighties movie that he was Take Me Home Tonight. I think oh, that's called. a good one. Yeah, one. Yeah, that's a bad. really good one. Yeah. Not bad. But the way he explained it, one little drop of this will just paralyze you and you'll have all your senses, but you won't feel anything. Right now. Because he, he did paralyze the woman. Dude, yeah. Mikey, yeah. Mikey. And then and then and then when the alien stabbed him with his with the with the um with the blades on his hand and uh, the guy didn't feel it. Oh yeah. Yeah, he kinda he just, he just kinda like stuck <laughs> yeah, him. Yeah, dude. Just like a stuffed pig. <sighs> oink oink. Well, if you're from my generation and you remember the first ever Super Mario Brothers game, Piranha Plants. Ooh, was, yeah, never, that's right. was never in the Mario Mario Brothers. Mario? Mario. They were kind of a uh, little shop of horrors, like <laughs> yes, little they plants. Were. Yeah. <laughs> now that Sammy brought that up. What was that damn plant's name on? What, 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 what? Audrey. Stop Audrey it. Jr., yeah. Was little, it really the plant from Little, uh, little, little Shop of Horrors? Yeah, yeah, Audrey. You know, because I always thought it was Seymour, but Seymour was Rick Moranis. Yes. Feed so, me, Seymour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, who who did the voice of Audrey? But his name was really um, Audrey. It was um, oh man, I forget his exact name. But it's a guy in the remake. It was the guy from uh, Four Tops. I forget his Leroy J. Damn. No, I forget, yeah, maybe his seriously. The, 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 yeah, one of the guys tops? from uh, yeah Four Tops. Wow. Yeah. wow, I didn't know that at all. That is awesome. Yeah. Awesome, Some good trivia. Yeah, I like it. I've actually I've never seen the 1960 one with Jack Nicholson. Oh, you got to watch that one. Yeah, I didn't even. I, I knew there was one an original, but I didn't know Jack was in it. I I know it was. It was a musical. I don't know if if the musical uh, came after the 1960 film or before it. Well, yeah, the one with Rick Moranis was musical. I think we're gonna get into that. I mean, I'm talking like really yeah. on stage. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, it was. It was a. I think it was a book that became a musical that became a film that became a musical that became a film that became a musical. So <laughs> it's in like its fifth iteration right now or something the, like that. The first one with Jack Nicholson from 1960. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think that's a Roger Corman film. So he was Seymour. Jack it is, yeah. Seymour. He was Seymour. Yeah. yeah. We'll get deep into that one. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I feel you. So getting back to the thing here, uh, when the weather clears, Scotty's finally able to file his story of a lifetime by radio to a room full of reporters in Anchorage. He ends the broadcast with this. Listen here. And now, before giving you the details of the battle, I bring you a warning. Every one of you listening to my voice, tell the world, tell this to everybody wherever they are. Watch the skies everywhere keep looking keep watching the sky that's a perfect ending right now now see i absolutely love that keep watching the sky now see orson (laughs) wells got in so much trouble in in uh in um in in that one uh opening that he did for the movie for war to worlds because they thought it was really happening and Orson Welles got in a ton of trouble with the production company because he had I spilled all he, over myself. <laughs> Sorry. Oops. He had he had he had when he had that opening, people really thought it was happening. From the first film? From the first film in, uh, in fifty in the fifties with now, Gene Gene Rayburn. When when did it first broadcast on the radio? Uh it was promoting the film and and Orson Welles was you know, because he was like the he was like the voice back then. Right. You know, he had a, he had a fantastic voice, and and he said uh, we are being invaded and blah blah because on the radio. 
Right. So, you know, you 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 couldn't tell if it was a joke or not, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and Orson Welles got in a lot of trouble for it as well as the production company because a lot of people thought it was really happening. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't say, go see this film and blah, blah, blah. They, he just said, we're being attacked by aliens and blah, 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 blah. Man, they got in a shitload think, of trouble. You think there was anyone who did like a uh, like a missed ending with their family <laughs> and then he's like... The- what it was a fucking news thing? Fuck Orson Welles and, and Mike. Oh, geez. Mike, let me tell you something. <laughs> Some what, guy kills his whole family because Orson Welles does. One of, one of the greatest things, one of the greatest things, you know that that I have in my memory is uh, I bought the the ship from from Horribles, and I gave it to my nephew. I loved that thing. Oh, I more of the world. Yeah, Sammy always liked it, so I gave it to him. Threw it right in the trash. Yeah, it's not <laughs> out. It's not out yet, Sam. It's been about three months, three years now, but. Anyway, love that. Love the spaceships from Mortal Worlds, man. That was fantastic. Mm, it was a cool looking ship. Fantastically done. So anything uh, else from the thing? Anything uh, to kind of wrap up uh, the original version, at least? I just got to say, that was a perfect ending, like, the way to, to wrap it all up there with what he said. <laughs> no, you can't wrap it up with that, Mike. You got to say what you, your favorite line is when they when they, uh, when they put that dog this on fire. Thing, this thing. Oh, I thought it was the one with the Kurt yeah. Russell when you said we'll he's really to, pissed off. We'll get off. to that. Yeah, I love <laughs> yeah, that that's one. coming up next. <laughs> So uh, as the credits roll on the thing from another world, we're left with an echoing sense of dread, this gripping tale of an alien plant-based life form terrorizing an Arctic research team reminds us of the subtle horrors that can arise from the most unexpected of places. This entity from another world wasn't just a metaphor for unknown fears, but served to highlight the often overlooked menace that lies in the natural world. So as I mentioned earlier, the thing from another world was remade in 1982 by John Carpenter. While both films share a source material and basic premise, they diverge significantly in their execution, themes, and impact, reflecting the different areas and filmmaking styles in which they were created. So uh, both films were set in remote, icy locations, but the 1951 version is set at the North Pole, while the 82 version is set in Antarctica. The characters in the 1951 film are more archetypal, with focus on heroism, particularly in the character of Captain Hendry, but Carpenter's version presents more nuanced and flawed characters, creating a sense of realism and heightening the film's pervasive sense of paranoia. If I was to rank Carpenter's films, this is definitely be in the top five. Well, I gotta, oh, t- sure, I, yeah. I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you, but I, I think it'd be number one. I, I, yeah. I really couldn't be honest with you, two dudes, on which one I like more because yep. both of them were just so fucking amazing. True, definitely more action packed. Carpenter's. Um, yeah, because it's newer. Great, uh, yes. Yeah, uh, great actors. The makeup. Rob Bottin. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Some of the best. Insane. Uh, what do you call that? Uh, practical makeup and special effects. Yeah, it's just the whole movie seems like there's so much dread. Like either like something yeah. bad has happened, or you know something terrible is about to right. happen. Like you yeah. don't know who's infected, and yeah. that scene with Wilford Brimley when he just walks up behind the guy and sticks his finger in, in uh, his mouth. Yeah, when 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 they stuck the hot coil in the blood, yeah, that too. Man, yeah. was that fucking awesome! You're on the edge of your seat. That was awesome. When it when it pops up, it's just mm-hmm. like it's out of nowhere. It's unexpected. But but you know what really freaked me out, Mike? I don't, that whole fucking movie outside of the dog was uh, that the couple of guys that were still tied up with the thing. Yeah, they're on the and bench. They were still on there. Yeah, dude, yeah. that fucked me up bad when I was young. Like, man, if if you don't think it's too much trouble, could you get me off this goddamn chair? Yeah. After they kill, they kill it again. One of my favorite characters. I'd rather not spend all winters taped in this goddamn chair. Yep. Also, Keith David. How could you fucking? Yes. Oh, Keith David. Say, one of my favorite character actors of all time. Yeah. Keith David. Yeah. How about how about you, Keith? 
you mess with this voodoo bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> like, but but when Childs, Brimley, right? but when they found out what he was building in the other part of the section of the snow and he's building another ship, mm. fucking sweet man. Yeah. <laughs> what a great Carpenter's just he's the guy. He, they, they, oh man, he's, he's even in in the thing. There's like little weird moments where you're like, that's even creepy. It's just like a yeah. throwaway line when he's like, I hear weird things out here. Yeah, there's weird yeah, things in the cold. Yeah, you know, mm, yeah. it's like yeah, this, be this fucking one is freaky. worth watching a few times because you might not catch everything the, uh, with the first view but you kind of think oh, about yeah. the actors too mike in the original and this one dude the element of fighting the cold let alone yeah. trying to make a film mm-hmm. holy crap <laughs> <laughs> but just kurt russell's character is just so cool yeah in, in, yeah. in this movie i think yeah. he's the coolest character ever in yeah. this movie yeah. <laughs> no 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 he was the only one that knew how to fly the helicopter right yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah. That, that, I mean, when you depend on one person for a major thing of getting the fuck out of there, dude. Mm. McCready. <laughs> yeah. McCready. All right. Well, uh, while the 1951 film reflects about the uh, Cold War tensions and fears of the time with its underlying message about the dangers of unknown threats and the need for vigilance, Carpenter's 1982 film traps into the mistrust and existential dread of its era with themes of identity, isolation, and the breakdown of social order. Aside from Carpenter's film being made as a premise for social commentary on the deterioration of humanity, warning society of devastating potential of uh, thinking as individuals in isolation rather than a collective, it's often interpreted as a metaphor for paranoia and fear surrounding the AIDS crisis emerging at that time. I mean, it is body horror, after all. Mm Mm-hmm. Scary. So, scary. so did you ever wonder if you can get AIDS from a drinking phone? You know what? I, re- I, re- <laughs> I remember when they first said they weren't sure if it was airborne. <sighs> Some scary shit we do as humans, man. I was, I was young, and I remember uh, all the attention was on uh, Ryan White. Remember that yeah, kid? Yeah, little from, kid. Uh, yeah. From Kokomo, Indiana. Yeah. They made a couple of movies about him. Yes. Mm-hmm. It was. It, it's such a scary thing, man. Even now. I mean, you know, you still see the commercials. Well, now we we have a pill that'll just you know it, it won't show any signs or whatever, whatever. That's even scarier. You it's know, like you Magic know, Magic Johnson and Charlie Sheen both like yeah. have I've tested like it's like they basically don't even have it or something. I mean, it was the early '90s when Magic well, came out, and he still looks better than most. When it comes to like diseases, you really you don't even hear much about AIDS anymore. You don't, and no. it's not like they've come out and said we have a cure, yeah. but there is medicine out there that's battling it yeah yeah it'll like reduce your viral load enough so that you won't even be like if you cut yourself or something you don't really have to worry about it you know Mm -hmm. yeah technology medicine's come a long way crazy (laughs) (laughs) all right so carpenter's version is more faithful to the original novella though presenting the alien as a shape-shifting entity that assimilates and imitates other life forms which is large, largely the groundbreaking special effects created by Rob Oteen, as Mike said a minute yep. ago. Genius. Uh, which, yeah, it's allowed the creature to take on numerous horrific and bizarre forms that the thing has come to be considered a masterpiece of the horror genre. I mean, look at that. That is so disturbing, That dude. guy made that by hand. Yeah, that is so <sighs> fucking disturbing. That is amazing. Yeah, he was some incredible shit like how do you even think of like someone's head falls off and turns into a spider like that crawls away you know (laughs) now where do you think this guy learned from or did he just was he just on his own he just came up with it i think he might have been like a student of rick baker actually was he really rick baker's guy wow because wow. i think like yeah he was supposed to also work on like uh, rob oteen was also uh he did all the stuff for um the howling if i'm not 
oh, mistaken. Yeah. Awesome. So they kind of also had like a kind of like a friendly rivalry, I think, going on because mm. they were like Damn. both kind of use the same effects, you know, going on there. Did he retire? Or is he still working? I don't know. Rick Rob Baker. Baker? Rick Baker. Rob Oteen. Oh, I'm not sure. Rick is retired. Is he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rick Baker's definitely retired. But um, all right. Our next feature um, takes us from the frosty clutch of the of the Arctic to a seemingly peaceful Californian town in the site of an insidious takeover in the invasion of the body snatchers from 56. So uh, just as weeds appropriate abandoned gardens, houses, and roads in plant horror narrative, vegetation appropriates the human body. So this is directed by Don Siegel, who also directed a um, bunch of films such as Hells for Heroes, Dirty Harry, yes. Escape from Alcatraz, yes. as well as uh, two episodes of The Twilight Zone. Now, uh, Donna Winter and uh, Kevin McCarthy star, they were both in plenty of movies in their heyday, but the uh, film is based on Jack Finney's 1954 novel, The Body Snatchers, where pod people are a race of nomadic extraterrestrial parasites from a dying planet. Realizing their planet's resources are nearing depletion, the pods evolve the ability to defy gravity and leave their planet's atmosphere in the search of planets to colonize. For millennium, the pods floated in space like spores, prepared, uh, propelled by solar winds, some occasionally landing on inhabited planets. Upon landing, they replaced the dominant species by spawning emotionless replicas. The original bodies disintegrate into dust after the duplication process. After consuming all the resources, the pods leave in search of other planets. Such a consumption was apparently the fate of civilizations inhabiting Mars and the moon. The pod's uh, sole purpose is survival, with no attention to the civilizations they conquer or the resources they squander. So the duplicates have lifespans of five Earth years and cannot sexually reproduce. Their duplicates have, um, yeah, I'm sorry, their invasion of Earth was short, unable to tolerate uh, Earth here, Earth life. Uh, The pods quickly abandoned our planet, leaving behind their duplicates, but those died quickly. So this is kind of a... Super sad story for Earth. It's like basically the apocalypse, the end of humanity yeah. as we know it. Kevin McCarthy, I know this is like one of his like most popular roles, but the best thing I've seen him do, UHF. With Weird Al. Oh, he was in that? Yeah, he was the evil evil guy. The evil oh. corporation guy. I don't think I knew that. Oh, my God. He was <laughs> I, I would, so funny. Kevin McCarthy is the guy pictured center here. I wouldn't know that because I can't stand Weird where, Al. Oh, I told you. Those, UHF is stand like, it, one of my guy. favorite comedies of all time, man. I'll, yeah. I'll tell you. You know when I first seen this one? It was on the original Son of Svengooly. He had a plan. Yeah. He had a plan late at night. And I'm, you know, you know, I'm watching. I'm like, you know, I had, I turned on. It was almost in the middle of it. And I'm like, what are those? What are those fucking things? And they said, there, these are the pods that we. I was like, holy fuck, they were disturbing looking, man. <laughs> holy fuck. I like I like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, but the 1978 one, which we'll I know we'll get into. That's my favorite. You yeah, know, definitely. You, you know what, dudes? I gotta tell you, uh, th- this series of of movies, I I could care less about them. You don't like invasion of body stand. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't think a big great. fan. I love them. I wasn't a bit. Was the idea cool? Fuck yeah! But it just didn't grab me. It didn't. Yeah, right. Well, this film uh, unfolds in the fictional Californian town of Santa Mira, where Doctor Miles Bennell stumbles upon a strange phenomenon. The film starts with a series of patients accusing their loved ones of being imposters. Although these claims are initially dismissed as mass hysteria, the reality turns out to be far more terrifying. Dr. Bennell and his old flame, Becky Driscoll, discover that the town's citizens are being replaced by the emotionless alien duplicates. 
whose exact physical copies, but devoid of any human emotion or individuality. Um, the invaders originate from an extraterrestrial plant life form, which uh, produces giant seed pods that, while the humans sleep, generate the duplicate copycat, uh, copy of the person, <laughs> capturing their physical appearance and all their memories. So however, these replicas lack any form of emotion or humanity, becoming merely emotionless facsimiles. The original human bodies, after being duplicated, then disintegrate, like I said, into dust, making way for their alien replacements. I think this scene is much better in the remake, which we'll get to in a minute, mm -hmm. but you can tell everything here is like... The bubbles make it just look gross. Yeah, but you can tell everything is like, um, what do you call it? Like inflatables? Like it's inflating out with air? <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. And then those are obviously some mannequins right there. At yeah. first I thought it was like a fried egg. Yeah, but you know what though, Mike? You're right, those, those bubbles... They really helped this film. They sure. really did. The bobbles. They were bobbles. Uh. <laughs> so uh, these uh, plant-produced duplicates then work to spread more pods, thereby propagating the invasion. The chilling notion of natural reproduction, reproduction turned into a tool of alien invasion and identity theft. Soon, Dr. Bennell and Becky are the only human beings in a town full of alien clones desperate to escape and warn the world of imminent danger. So one of the pod people hints at their extraterrestrial origin and purpose without explaining. Dr. Bennell gets away from the town and then sells his story to a doctor. A truck carrying pods is uh, then wrecked soon after, and a second physician uh, believes the tale. He asks the government agents to quarantine the town, but viewers are left to wonder whether they were successful or not. Prior to a remake, um, to a rewrite, the ending was less hopeful about the fate of humanity, though, ending before Benel escapes. The final shot was originally just Benel standing on a highway, shouting warnings at passing cars and into the camera, and that's now become an iconic scene. Uh, let's watch that real quick. Can't you picture him from UHF? Yeah, now, now I can. <laughs> you know, the, a Rolex. You, you know, and again, when I when I first seen this film, they were loading the pods and they showed them on that truck, and right away it it it, it matches my thoughts with Cocoon. You know, yeah. the same pods that the aliens were. were I like Cocoon. We're, we're in, oh, I love Cocoon. Cocoon two to return. Be, we're getting but, into Cocoon deep. Oh, hello. <laughs> Episode nine, but this, <laughs> this is this is going to be a this is going to be a deep. <laughs> we're doing seventeen episodes on plant horror. But, but I you thought tell the Conjuring you. was long. We're going for. We might as well just change this uh, fucking podcast. Uh, botanical terror. But, but, <laughs> no, no. Sinister sprouts. Sinister sprouts. No, what was what was the horticulture one? Oh, horrifying! Or no, the good one we were laughing about was creepy chlorophyll. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 you know what though? I will say. The idea of the pods, magnificent, magnificent. Yeah, you know yeah. it's cre it's some creepy ass shit, dude. I also really liked how they used that scene in uh, Scream Six. Oh, they did. <laughs> Henry Cerny or whatever is eating like his breakfast, and they show that scene, and then he gets a knock on the door. It's Ghostface. Because <laughs> you never know what comes out of a pod. All right, so here, uh, yeah, the vegetal, uh, the vegetal aliens explicitly urge the humans to adopt their emotionless existence to become born into an untroubled world where there is no need for love, no emotion at all. Love, desire, ambition, and faith are all gone, as one of the plant aliens puts it. 
In the face of this indifferent threat, uh, Becky also asserts to Miles what it means to be human. She says, uh, I want to be loved and be loved. Um, or I want to love and be loved. Uh, I want your children. I don't want to be in a world without love, grief, or beauty. And this uh, is a fine example of that Sartre's chestnut tree where Becky is creating her own meaning in an indifferent universe in the face of an existential dread and her own perception of reality. So that's why I didn't like this film. There was, so once you're, once you're one of these alien dudes, you, there's no booty slapping? You don't care about nothing? No, I Damn, don't think so. that would piss me off. What a shit life. Plant, Fuck, plants yeah. are asexual. Oh, okay. I feel you. I feel you. But the, <laughs> but again, the pods have you, you know what? There's so many movies that they've used that idea. Look at look at look yeah. at um look at Silence of the Lambs, the pod that held the bee. Dude, that mm. fucked me up too. I'm t- I'm telling you, man, these little fucking things, they they phew, they're all over the joint. You just don't realize how many movies have pods in them. I'm going to get into it a little deeper on the second one, but it's a more of like, uh, they call it like, you know, it's like your consciousness has a blindness to plants. It You've does, always been yeah. like, oh, they're just there. They don't mean anything. Like, that, like I said in the intro, it stays in the corner, drooping, decaying, kind of sad, depressing looking. That's trying to kill you. It's it's like the butterfly's cocoon. Did you ever, did you ever watch that? That's some creepy shit. That's also, that could be plants or uh, Jeffrey Dahmer at an orgy. Chris <laughs> 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 don't, they, don't they call that Chrysalis? Chrysalis, yeah. Chrysalis. <laughs> Chrysalis. <laughs> All right. Well, the film has also been interpreted as a reflection of the anti-communist paranoia of the era. Others see it as a critique of McCarthyism and the dangers of conformity. But despite these theories, director Don Siegel and writer Daniel Manwaring denied embedding any political allegory. That's all pretty much, uh, you know, what we've put on it since then. Now, Invasion of the Body Snatchers was also remade in 1978 under the same title again. Um, again in 1993 under the shortened title Body Snatchers, and for a third time in 2007 under another shortened title, The Invasion. Boo. Yeah, that, that was, was the worst Don, of all. Donald Sutherland? That's my favorite. Yeah, in the Donald first Sullivan. one, yes. I, I, An invasion. I'll, t- I'll tell you, that was a creepy dude. Donald Sullivan's a creepy motherfucker <laughs> to begin with. It was. My favorite, uh, one of his, uh, what was that goddamn movie? Was it Psychopath? Where he's like, remember he plays like the mentally challenged yeah, dude? Yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, they, I think they literally like painted him white or something <laughs> like that. It's that, I'm pretty, no, no, it's not the. An old one? Fanatic, maybe, I think yeah, is the other yeah, name of it. Yeah. yeah. It's called Fanatic with um, Tallulah Bankhead. We covered it in one of these episodes. Yeah, we did. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. Might, you know yeah. what? It was. Um, it might have been the Misfits. Yeah, one of our Misfits oh, here. Yeah, because okay. I think it had the tagline, Mommy, yeah. can, I go, can I go and kill yes. tonight? Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. What a great, look at that. That would be a great, oh, so we got to yeah. do a poster session too. Look at that. Right away that would grab me. Lots of great posters in this oh. one. Yeah. So this is uh, considered by some critics to be one of the best remakes in film history. Uh, 1978's Invasion of the Body Snatchers was directed by Philip Kaufman, yes. a Chicago-born screenwriter and director. Wow. Yeah, he wrote the story for Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, also followed Invasion of the Body Snatchers with directed films like The Wanderers yes. and The Right Stuff. Love The Wanderers. My, Love it. Of all my f- favorite films, top five, Wanderers. Yeah. Great movie, yeah. Love mm-hmm. it. Now, uh, there's also features an incredible cast featuring Donald Sutherland, Brooke Adams, Art Hindle, uh, Jeff Goldblum, Veronica Cartwright. It was also featured in the 2007 remake, Leonard Nimoy, and a special cameo appearance by Kevin McCarthy. Yeah. <laughs> what? Oh my God. Lock the door. Lock the door. They're coming. They're coming. Help. Help. They're coming. They're coming. How cool is that? This is a great. Yeah. How cool is that? 
Please, listen to me. Something terrible. Please. You're next. Here they are. They're already here. Come. You're next. They're coming. They're coming. They must have done something. He runs off, gets his dumb ass hit by a car. <laughs> but but you gotta think though, Sammy. See, a lot of people don't like. You gotta think of of the way. <laughs> there might be a special... point at you. <laughs> I might put that in the, in the at the end of the episode. That's what I said, you guys. <laughs> you gotta think of 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 the horrifying fact of is this guy crazy? Is he nuts? And and he's you know the 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 first human that sees most in, in most of our horror films that sees things going on and the rest of us don't believe him, dude. I was uh he's actually cre- he's not credited as uh Doctor Bennell obviously in in uh, the remake here, I, I but never I, knew I, he was like, in the remake. He's just accredited as Running Man, but I like to think he's just been running from city to city <laughs> for twenty years doing that shit. <laughs> they probably paid him a dollar fifty. Are you a substation? <laughs> I wanted a Rolex. I mean, I mean, what if I came running through the house in my drawers? That's not really Mike. It's not really Mike. It's some guy that thinks he's Mike. I just seen one hundred percent believe you. Yeah, why not? <laughs> I mean, how would I prove it? You can't. You would think I was nuts. Yeah, dudes. That's why it's such a great premise. I think, yeah. dudes, has a little bit of uh like that dopper fear of doppelgangers. Dude, it, you I'm know? telling you. All right. Well, this is also cool. At about 124 minutes, I'm sorry, an hour and 24 minutes into the film, Don Siegel, the director of the Phil's first film, also makes a cameo as a taxi driver. He was. Uh, this is pretty funny here. I thought he was really driving the car, and Donald Sutherland and Brooke Adams' on-screen nervousness is genuine, since Siegel had lost most of his vision, and he was driving around the. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> he was driving around the dark streets of San Francisco without his glasses. <laughs> Are you serious? Is that true, Sammy? Yeah, they just let him drive, but he's like, I'm not gonna be on camera with my glasses. Fuck you. So <laughs> he's just like, okay, that's fucked up. Mike. <laughs> he's nearly crashing at every moment. <laughs> Look at Donald. <laughs> <laughs> we survived. <laughs> I like I love Donald Sutherland when he was getting high in Animal House. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know she creeps me out with no, no makeup or no nothing, man. She always creeped me out in her movies. I like she does that trick with her eyes in this foot, like, oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Look at him; he's a creepy dude, Mikey. So this is also great. Uh, around five minutes into the film, Robert Duvall, who had previously worked with Philip Kaufman on the film The Great Northfield Minnesota Raid, say that five times fast, uh, happened to be in San Francisco at the time of filming, and he shot this scene for only an eddie bauer jacket are you <laughs> he serious said, i don't need no money i just give me an eddie bauer jacket what <laughs> i think, he, I think he's he's credited as like crazy priest playing on the swing or oh, something I just like the swing man <laughs> did you ever see the movie with him i think it's called it, it runs in the family with james earl jones where they're brothers james earl jones and him yeah no oh it's a good one wow man in chicago okay yes. gotta gotta look for that one all right, well, uh, horror narratives find ways to get around plants' stuckness in place, and that is what makes the drifting seeds in the opening scene such a fascinating start to the film. Uh, the origin of the Pod People clones in the 78 film remains the same as in the first film adaptation, but they appear as gelatinous creatures abandoning their ravaged planet somewhere in deep space. So after landing on Earth, they assimilate leaves and become pink flowers, eventually growing to the larger six-foot pods. Uh, this time, those assimilated scream in an eerie, high-pitched alien voice. This time, those assimilated, uh, like it's a, 
I fucked that up. Hold on. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's used to alert other people, other pod people of humans in their midst. Uh, they also seem to exhibit a kind of extrasensory perception. Uh, I like, I always love these kind of like coming to earth intros in a lot of like the, you know, 50s and 60s films of that so, time. So this was before Star Trek? No. Um, this, this was, was after. after Star Trek? Yeah. It was 1978. Oh, yeah. I, thought you were, I thought Leonard Nimoy was in the original. I'm sorry. Uh, no, I wasn't in the original. Okay. Just a remake here. Yeah. Okay. Star Trek uh, started, I want to say, 68? Okay. Okay. No, no, I knew it was in the 60s, wrong. but I thought he was in the original. Because uh, 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 Leonard Nimoy was in, uh, was in Outer Limits' as iRobot. Uh, he was a reporter in iRobot, and that was a fantastic uh, episode. iRobot. Nimoy. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 but the planet thing, Sammy, uh, that's fucking cool. I got to rewatch that now. So this was that scene I was talking about that was redone from the original. I think this is a case of like a remake updating something for the better with like awesome practical effects. It is. This I, is amazing. I gotta for the rewatch time, I think. it now. Yeah. Now Sammy's pissing me off. I gotta watch it. This I don't. I can't believe you haven't liked this one. This is an amazing fucking movie here. I I don't think I've seen the full second one, but I did see the full first one. I forgot that Philip Kaufman directed this. Uh, you know who did the special effects here? Who? I was asking you. Oh, <laughs> I, I should have looked that up. But yeah, look at that. Yeah, These are fucking amazing. Job. Come yeah. on, dude. Really amazing job. I'm gonna throw up. Yeah, that looks fucking weird. That is fucked up, man. That's like a Hellraiser kind of guy. Oh, it's just like it's so disgusting. It's it so is, creepy. Dude, with all the shit on him, it really reminds shit. me of Alien. Yeah. Oh come that, on. That's where I, I, I where I remember Veronica Cartwright in the first Alien film. Yeah. When it first pops out of his chest, she goes, oh, God. Oh, that's her? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that was Veronica right? Yeah. Ooh. You know, in that scene, too, they were like, they didn't tell anybody that that was actually going to happen. So everybody's reactions on screen were oh, like, the what chest, the, f- oh, the chest bursting scene? Yeah, like, what awesome. the fuck was that? Awesome yeah. note, Sammy. See? They just going to pack mm-hmm. that up. Sammy's got it down, boy. Yeah. Oh, look at his fingers. It's, oh, it's freaking me out, Mikey. <laughs> I think this is the the better scene here too because it's horrific when he smashes his own face in. Oh right, he has like a hoe or a trowel or something like that. It's able to copy them so fast too. I gotta rewatch this. And the music one. is so cool in this. It's another thing we we should look up who did the soundtrack. Uh, Denny Zetlin, I think is his name. I don't know how I know that off the top of my head, but yeah, Denny something. Look at that! How cool that is. Oh, oh that's brutal. Smashing your own head, Mikey. Oh man, I would murder the fuck out of me, dude. You don't even know. <laughs> I'd be so fucking dead, guy. <laughs> now, uh, this is one of the coolest and what the fuck moments of the whole entire movie, I think. These beings don't usually get it wrong, but when a homeless busker and his dog are being taken over as they sleep next to each other. It's a pity. Yeah, Donald Sutherland kicks the pod growing their alien counterparts to create one of the most nightmarish images ever put on screen. The human-faced dog. I remember that. Yeah, it's a practical effect, and the filmmakers got lucky when the dog wearing the mask decided to shove its tongue out through the hole in the the mouth hole there. What makes it even weirder is that the soundtrack incorporates a banjo out of nowhere, and Donald Sutherland knocks out a grandma while trying to escape. (laughs) That is so fucked up. That is so fucked up. Yeah, by the way, uh, not the actual man in the movie, but the, this character, like the, the banjo he plays and the songs he sings are performed by Jerry Garcia. Awesome. Fucking Dude. cool, right? <laughs> Look at Is that disturbing, Mikey? Yeah. That's great. That, that, no CGI right there. That is all 
a mask that's all practical and dog, effects. And the dog yeah. just having to stick his tongue nothing, out like that? Yeah, nothing was like would inserted you, on that. Would you just... let the man-faced dog lick you, Sal? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah, you know why? You know why? Why not? I mean, <laughs> you, you know, like, like you know, they've used these effects in so many movies I can name. Uh, uh, Night, uh, Nightmare from Elm Street. Uh, Freddy had the two dogs with human heads watching them. Dude, there was so many. That's so disturbing putting a human face on a dog. Yeah. Dude. There's a new podcast out. I think it's called Scream With Me. I was talking about that last time uh-huh. with like uh, James from Dead Meat and Catherine Cocker <laughs> and the girl who is a. And uh, Heather Langenkamp was just on there. And she's like, actually, like, I had nightmares for a long time about the tongue wrapping around my head. Like, uh, Ser- that oh. fucked me up. <laughs> oh, see, look at the, but the mask looks so disturbing, Sammy. 100%. Dude, that would bother me, Mikey. <laughs> Fuck, where's my blanket? Uh, so this version <laughs> does not end with the same hope as the previous movie, but ends with the pod people taking over almost everyone on Earth. In the closing scene, Veronica Cartwright's character is happy to see the hero, played by Donald Sutherland, only to hear him emit the alien scream. So despite their efforts, they were unable to stop the alien force, and the humans are doomed while Earth is reduced to a dusty rubble. <laughs> Great Hilarious. ending there. Hilarious. Love it. I gotta rewatch it now. What city do you think they, you think they filmed that in? San Francisco, I believe yeah. it was. Some yeah. kind of capital building. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's what it looked like. That's <laughs> fucked up, man. Yeah. That is so fucked up. So, uh, any more, any, <laughs> any more notes on the invasion of the body snatchers? It's a good one. Abel Ferrara is next. <gasps> yes. Uh, similar to the 1978 film, uh, in 1993's Body Snatchers, these pod people emit the high-pitched alien scream to indicate non-converts. Uh, their extraterrestrial origin is hinted, suggested through a pan into the galaxy in the opening credits, and a statement by the replica general they traveled light years. Uh, the bodies of these pod people also shrivel and disintegrate after they are killed, similar to the originals. Now also, uh, similar to the 1978 remake, this third version seems to preclude any hopeful conclusion by the ambiguous ending in which the two leads land after seemingly destroying the pod people, only to find the pilot is apparently one of the aliens, reflecting back to the eerie warning, there's no one like you left, which is a reference to this scene in the film that was supposedly all improvised by Meg Tilly. Where are you going to go? Where are you going to run? Where are you going to hide? Nowhere. Because there's no one like you left. She's beautiful and super talented. Where did she go? She doesn't act anymore. I don't know. I always see her. The only time I really ever see her pop up is on um, her sister Jennifer Tilly's like inst- Instagram mm. or stuff. She was also in the new uh, Chucky series, uh, the third season. Oh, oh she was? Yeah. Long, oh, man. Okay. Not for long. You know, she's like only there to like prove a point that Jennifer Tilly isn't really Jennifer Tilly. <laughs> okay. I feel you. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, the version was directed by Abel Ferrara, who yeah. Mike said earlier, who is also known for films such as Miss 45, Fierce City, oh. King of New York, Bad Lieutenant. Also, gritty, uh, gritty, yeah. gritty New York. Oh, I love it. Dangerous I, Game, I The Addiction, which we covered. I can't get enough of these films. Yeah. Can't get enough of these Miss films. Miss 45 is hard to watch, man. Um, I just watched that the other day, actually. That one scene. Yeah. The actress uh, Zoe Lund or Zoe Tamerless. Zoe uh, Lund, yeah. Gorgeous. Uh, she was a model. Died of hair on. Oh, that's right. She died of hair on. Yeah, Sammy? Well, I think we talked about Pretty her a couple sure. of times. Yeah. Pretty she sure was like, uh, She was yeah. a big like advocate for heroin. Yeah. Mm. Now see, Mike. Now see, it's fucked up. My nephew's a genius. I, I, when I'm not watching horror, 
or uh, or I like I like um, Deal or No Deal. I like game shows like that and Wheel of Fortune. I'll watch these gritty movies. Yeah. So for well, some reason, they relax me at night. Ferrara was able to capture the gritty new what New York used to look like. Yeah. Forty uh, Second yeah, Street saying, yeah. that you all hear yeah. about of you know it was like the most <laughs> dangerous part of uh, New York City back in the day. It's Tribeca now, and it's like so cleaned up. It's so gentrified, and it's safe. A, a friend of mine to walk down. A friend it now. of mine said, and he was from New York. He said it smelled so bad. I bet it smelled so bad it's on most of the streets of New York. You know, and, yeah. it was like New Orleans. Yeah. You know, he he because he came from. He, well, actually, I imagine it probably smelled like uh, cigarette smoke and dude, like fucking jizz rags. Yes. He, he said, he, yeah. you know why, Sammy? Why? Because he said a lot of the streets. The garbages was just would just pile higher than yeah. a car. Yep, that's why everybody says Chicago was a better city. They th- well dude, cleaner city, you know, cleaner, cleaner. That's that's fucked up in itself. Because <laughs> that, that's where you get the sewer rats from. And man, yeah, man, I saw this video from this. <laughs> someone was filming this like homeless guy on the street because there was a rat that went into his blanket. Was it me? Uh, no, but they're like they're like they went over and they kicked him like, "Yo, man, you got a rat in your blanket." And they're like. <laughs> The guy was like, what? And he moved his blanket over and an army of rats oh, poured out of his blanket. It was like, there was like 30, 40 of them. Yes, I, wish, I wish I would have caught that on film. I, I've, oh I've caught God. a lot of homeless dudes doing some weird shit. And I said that to you two guys. But that would have been cool as hell. Are you paying bums to have fights? <laughs> I I Bum did fights. I did pay one guy to karate fight, but not to fight anybody. <laughs> I'll never forget what I said to Sammy. Hey, dude, I'll give you a dollar. You do your karate moves. And he Sal, did. Sal's exploiting the homeless. <laughs> 100 hey, somebody, percent somebody's got to do it <laughs> all right well the 1993 adaptation of body snatchers uh, focuses more on the personal experience of a teenage girl and her family starring gabriel anwar better known for her roles in films like uh son of a woman also terry kinney was in the hbo hbo show oz meg tilly like we said before also christina lease known for her role in the chuckley franchise yeah, yeah forrest whitaker and arlie ermy now she she was in the first uh, uh, Chucky uh, Chucky movie. Two. Uh, she came back. Part two. No, 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 no. She came back on the new series. Oh, on the series. She came back on the new series yeah. uh, with 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 the real Andy. They mm-hmm. both got together, yeah. and I thought that was fucking sweet. That was fucking sweet. I want to say it was the first season of Chucky. She came back and yeah. and was helping fight fight or find to find and kill Chucky. Mm-hmm. Did you? Because you never you still haven't seen him, Mikey. No, series? that's one series I don't think I'll ever get into. The first, I, well, I don't know about Sammy, but only the first season was good. The rest yeah. can suck my ass. <laughs> well, no, I thought the last season was actually pretty good. Where they were in the White House. I'm not going to say it. Chucky's about to as, die as, too, as, as Mike would say. It's too woke for me. <laughs> <laughs> that means it's definitely too woke for this guy, Harley <laughs> Ermy. He would be. He'd be canceled in a minute. Someone go to the army. They're like, "Oh God, what the fuck did you say to me?" <laughs> I didn't know they stack shit that high. Uh, so, so this version. Of, also, he's like, can you imagine? He's got to be all PCs. Like, 
Texas? I thought only steers and um, <laughs> transsexual people yeah. come from. Right. <laughs> it's like, okay, it's like, fucking so, love full metal jacket. So, yeah, the, oh god. The, the 1993 version also shifts the setting to a military base in Alabama. This change of location allows for the same same but different exploration of themes, including the dehumanization of regimentation, and often associated with military life. And again, can be seen as a commentary on the conformity and loss of individuality yeah a jelly donut (laughs) but he made me cry in seven when he said enough about that killing that fat boy (laughs) (laughs) i forgot he was in seven (laughs) when he said fat boy mike (laughs) (laughs) about that fat boy (laughs) completely forgot he was in that oh man well uh then 2017 the invasion uh starring nicole kimmon and daniel craig um did i say danielle no you said daniel Daniel? Daniel. all right daniel (laughs) i thought i said that uh after a space shuttle crashes to earth an intelligent fungus life alien uh life form is discovered on the remnants scattered wholly over the united states uh once people are infected by the organism and rem sleep occurs the organism takes control of its host and reprograms their genetic expression then these genetically modified post-humans vomit a gelatinous substance to continue the invasion. So that's something that's different in this version. But uh, as their invasion snowballs, the pod people transform humans by injecting them with a substance under the guise of the influenza vaccines. As it continues across the globe, local conflicts are resolved, including the Iraq War, the Daifur conflict, even uh, like North Korea makes peace with everybody. However, certain illnesses during childhood render humans immune to the violent invaders. Uh, medical scientists somehow create a miracle vaccine in a few months to cure the pandemic. The treatment wipes the memories of the replicas and the infective live as though they were in a deep sleep. Similar to previous incarnations, the virus can also kill its human host. So uh, this is also the uh, very first time that we see the pod people being immune to the virus and also the first happy ending where Earthlings win over the invasion at the end. You know, pussies. Not uh, not one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, this is the worst of all of them. I, 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 think. Can't, I can't stand Daniel Craig. Nicole? I can't stand. Nicole Kidman, I love her ever since Aquaman, and I know Mike hates Aquaman. But but Daniel Craig, what were they thinking making him James Bond? I, I can't uh, stand that dude. I, I even read a piece of trivia here that on like the second day of filming or something, he got the call that he was about to be James Bond, <laughs> uh, and then he had to like go back to England or something. But I'm like, you know he phoned it in for yeah, the rest oh, yeah. of this fucking movie. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I'm he about to be James Bond. The fuck I care about an invasion movie. <laughs> There's She has got some hits underneath her belt. Uh, oh, yeah. For me, it was yeah. far and away um, yeah, to movie. die for. Yeah. And a few years ago, she came out with one where she was like a like a dirty, corrupt police officer. Oh, that was real good. Yeah. Didn't see that one. What was the name of that? The, Do you the remember? Destroyer or something? Destroyer. Like yeah. I didn't see that. Fucking bad. Was this? Yeah. Oh, my God. And she Let was a cop, Mike? Yeah. A little detective cop. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Let me tell you, awesome. she gets, she, I'll put a picture in here and post or whatever, but she is fucking scary looking. She's like 90 pounds. She's supposed to be like oh, yeah. an alcoholic drunk in the movie. She's, yeah. oh, you don't yeah. even recognize yeah. her because her hair is short and like Ew. no makeup. Yeah. Ew. You think she was doing hair on Mikey? I mean, she looked like she was. I think in the, in the film. movie she might have been. Yeah. Oh. I'm not sure, but yeah, in the f- she is like actually scary looking. That just hey. bothers hey. me. Give her a sandwich. She survived Tom Cruise. Not yeah. said. 
That idiot. True. No, what am I saying? I like Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, those are the remakes for the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Um, there's also uh, not partic- not a plan horror, but the faculty is also blatantly inspired by the Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I like uh, faculty. Yeah, that was directed by Robert Riguez and Robert Rodriguez and uh, written by um, Kevin Williamson, by the way. Did oh. you know that? I, I, I like this movie, but... It was one of those things you just watch. Probably the hottest Jordana Brewster's ever looked. Yeah, Jordana Brewster too. is just amazing. She's so freaking hot. I also put this in here because I rewatched this recently and this made me laugh. I like how they did the '90s trope of taking smoking hot uh, Fomke Jensen, oh right? my god, supermodel Fomke Jensen, <laughs> yeah. and then they put her in glasses and a ponytail, and we're supposed to be like, oh, yeah. she's disgusting, <laughs> right? Gross, yeah. gross. <laughs> but then at the end, they do that, that, like I said, the '90s trope where they make her hot again. Yeah. Oh, she she's a ten, but we'll put glasses on her yeah. and make her look like a librarian. Like a librarian, she'll maybe come out yeah, as a yeah, four. Yeah. No, that always made me laugh so hard. Um, what was the um? Not another teen movie does that. Yeah, so I was just like, say oh, that. Oh, yeah, 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 glasses yeah. on a ponytail. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Girls like a ten, and then you know, yeah. let's put glasses on her. She'll look ugly. And no, I, and I bet you she was dirty, Mike. I don't care. <laughs> uh, whoever that actress is, oh my god! In that middle picture, she, she smells like cats for sure. <laughs> <laughs> She cats. smells like pussy cats. <laughs> like cats. <laughs> Cat lady. Oh, right. Well, instead of the uh, silent invasion via replication, we're now venturing into even more treacherous territory to an entire island filled with carnivorous plants in Voodoo Island. Hello. Also released as Silent Death. So uh, in here, uh, plants serve as a symbol of the island's supernatural curse, a manifestation of the island's voodoo magic. Released in early 1957, the Boris Karloff vehicle about a party of travelers surveying a South Seas island for possible hotel development (laughs) and the forces of voodoo, which with the travelers are confronted with on the island. Now, the uh, movie revolves around Karloff's character, a professional skeptic of the supernatural and a hoax buster named Philip Knight, who's commissioned to investigate the mysterious circumstances surrounding a South Pacific island where real estate developers are trying to transform the island into a hotel and resort, rumors of a curse are impending their progress. What's, yeah, what's with that I'm dude? Sorry. The guy on the right, is that the guy from Swamp Thing? I think he is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, the main guy, the main bad guy? Yeah. yeah. Hey, Sammy, mm-hmm. can you can you go back to the to the poster? No. Oh. <laughs> Just saying, <yeah. laughs> Is that Salamander dude getting some nipple meat there? Look at that. He's sucking on that booby. Uh, he's a nice cop on a field. Yeah, he's, oh, he's getting yeah, some yeah, nipple yeah, meat. Yeah, that yeah, dude. yeah, these All plants right. are definitely horny plants in this movie. Like we'll it. get to that in a second. Like horny <laughs> plants. See, dendrophilia. Dendrophilia. Yeah, what, so, I'm uh, sorry, what year was this? Uh, 1957. 57, okay. Yeah. So uh, here, Karloff studies a man who appears to be in a trance who was the only survivor <laughs> of a four man survey team of architects and engineers sent to bring back a report from the island. As Karloff agrees to visit the island to dispel the rumors of myth and voodoo, the telephone line goes dead. Check this out here. Birds in a cage begin squawking. And then the plant, the live plants on the motel, uh, the hotel model uh, start to wilt and die, begin dripping blood. Does that guy blink? No, he's in a trance. He, they put uh, him under a voodoo trance. Sent right, him back to right the island. Right now we need another score to under underscore this scene. And that's Voodoo Fire by Cathedral. Voodoo Fire. <laughs> Go ahead. Give us voodoo a- <laughs> Fire. <laughs> Look at that, dude. Sounds like a theremin. Yeah. Oh, it's bleeding, Sammy. Yeah, that's just a little bit of voodoo. 
little bit of voodoo to take uh, back with you to America. <laughs> that guy does not blink. You think they did a Dude, couple? Dude, he they doesn't do a, blink. You think they had to do a bunch of takes where they're like, "Fuck, come on, yeah, Tom." Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. I fucked up. He's not blinking, dude. He's trying. He's trying not to right there. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's disturbing. That's disturbing that he's not blinking. Yeah. So, uh, Voodoo Island was also Adam West's very first appearance in a film in nice. an uncredited role as Weather Station Number Four Operator, <laughs> Mayor Adam West. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, this uh, film was also scored by Les Baxter, who's like a legend for some of these old movies. One of my favorite ones he's ever done is uh, the Dunwich Horror. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 A lot of like, uh, you know, like kind of like lounge style, like cool. Like, <laughs> lounge. You know, yeah. Like lounge music. Cool shit. So uh, when an investigation team arrives, they discover that the curse is far from just a rumor. The island is overrun with the strange and unsettling, including a horde of zombie-like individuals tied to local voodoo practices. It'd also be a little remiss if I didn't note that voodoo originated in West Africa, was transported to the Americas, particularly Haiti during the transatlantic slave trade. Over time, it developed into other regions such as Louisiana, the Dominican Republic, Cuba, and Brazil, but not the South Pacific. Weird. So um, as the characters begin to interact with the environment, the plans attack them, officially figured to be natural phenomenon. Different from the other killer plants we've covered so far, these diverse and carnivorous plants are presented as opportunistic predators by necessity since they are fixed where they have grown. They do not have the invasive agendas of plant life and the thing in the Body Snatchers films as they seem to be found only on the single island where and merely feed off what passes for sustenance. That's clear when a little girl wanders over uh, uh, wanders over a flower that envelops <laughs> and swallows her whole. <laughs> so... I knew you'd love that. <laughs> so, so Karloff, by the way, watch this in a second here. Watch how it sucks up her dress like a little piece of spaghetti. <laughs> Ooh, that's a tax write off. Oh man, I love it. <laughs> hey, that little kid, like a like a freaking piece of Wheaties. <laughs> So uh, Karloff goes on to characterize these plants as uh, prehistoric, uh, being nearly 15 million years old, uh, much as the plant form and invasion is, uh, which provides a partial explanation for their unusual qualities. Uh, these plants operate by stealth by capura- capturing their victims unawares. Yeah. So um, these deadly plants also symbolize the notion of nature fighting back against human intrusion. As the real estate developers plan to exploit the island for profit, the island's curse retaliates through these plants, acting as guardians of the island. This narrative of nature's retaliation provides subtle commentary on the ecological impacts of unchecked human development and the potential consequences of disturbing the natural balance. Those are fucking cool plants there, I think. Uh, that's a creepy-looking plant, looking. dude. Yeah, that's they, a they very uh, creepy-looking plant. They kind of look like the uh, the spaceships from uh, like War of the Worlds, yeah. too, I think. yeah. Yeah. You know what it reminds me of? The way they, they rock back and forth. Um, remember the, the monster from Enemy Mine? Yes. Yeah. With the, with yes. That, that was his tongue that, that came was out. Cool. Guard yeah. me when I was a little yeah. kid. Yeah. yeah. And it wrapped around his leg. Right. And, oh. Right. And it cut his leg open. Yeah. That was a, I haven't thought about that movie in forever. Dude. That was God. a fucking crazy one, movie. One of my favorite sci-fi action movies. I mean, outside of that little kid getting eaten, that, I got to watch that film again. <laughs> it was good. A Voodoo Island you're yeah. talking about? Yeah. I remember yeah. seeing it when I was little. 
Yeah, this is a good one. Now, uh, another earlier theme on which the film seems to draw uh, that of parallels between human reproductive biology and plant reproductive biology, the emphasis is uh, not on showing how plants propagate themselves, but on sexualizing the predation of the plants. For example, the first victim of the plants is a woman who has been characterized as somewhat older and sexually experienced. A slut, if you will. Damn. <laughs> so when she strips down to enjoy a dip under a waterfall, she's attacked by a water-dwelling plant with long and tentacled, and by the way, inflatable, again, limbs, which wrap around her and conveniently cover up the parts of her body that couldn't be shown in 1950s cinema. The rest of the uh, team hear her screams and hack at the roots of the plant, but the sacrificial non-virgin's death comes nevertheless, and what could be read as a narrative retribution for sexual independence, what's become a common horror trope. Uh, by the way, the plant's uh, special effects creator here is Milton Milt Rice, who is also responsible for the pod special effects. Nice. I like listen to what Karloff says here. He's like, it's a blonde. <laughs> But if it was a redhead or a brunette, I know, yeah, right? Fuck yeah. it. It's weird too that this is supposed to be like some crazy island, but there's multiple different teams of people there for some reason. So uh, subsequently, Karloff's young, attractive, and virginal assistant Hello! is attacked by a plant that resembles nothing so much as a giant penis with a throbbing shaft and head that spring to interest in her presence. Though unlike her more sexualized counterpart, she is rescued when the base of the shaft is hacked off in an obvious castration image. You see it latch onto her titties, by the way? I seen that. <laughs> oh, yeah, see? Shoot the oh, ball. Oh, yeah, see? It's got yeah. a nipple. He's a nipple lover. You shoot the balls, I'll hack oh. the shaft. Look at Carlos getting a feel. <laughs> getting a feel. <laughs> now, see, I would massage your titty. That might be an edit. <laughs> Sorry, dudes. <laughs> it's, it's, okay. it's funny though. Um, I think for I, I, they didn't show any parts in there, but fucking. They're, I plant, it, they're plants a titty man. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was funny too that like the whole movie, I was like, I was laughing. I don't think they showed any shots laughing. in there. But no, like Karloff is wearing a hat, but he's wearing it like this. And I was like, <laughs> he's a cholo. Yeah, I was like, what the fuck? I'm like, SD. I'm like, is he like a BMX dude from fucking the early 2000s? No, dude, he's just a ST. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, every time I saw him, I was like, this dude's about to shred some fucking gnar oh, right that's funny. <laughs> he had his hand up like that. That's Swiss funny. tendencies, man. Yeah, that's, funny. that's what I thought. Like, he'd have, some, he'd have some spikes going on in there. <laughs> All I wanted was a Pepsi. Just one Pepsi. <laughs> that's funny. All right. Well, our next film brings to life a monstrous animated tree bent on uh, hell bent on revenge in from Hell Oh, my God. 
Why do I love this movie so much? It's great. It was, it was such a cheesy outfit. The guy was in a trunk, man, of a country trunk going like this. Come on. I had to look up that lady that was like, she's like, plays like an Irish woman in the movie or something like that. But I was like, what is going on with her? Like every five minutes, she's like, by the way, she's another one who's like a fucking slut in the movie. Yeah, she's like, yeah. she's banging the doctors. Right. Yeah, she's banging the doctors. She's banging the plants. She's banging the fucking natives. <laughs> oh she's banging the, the tribes passing her around. This monster. <laughs> Gets around. This monster was such a horrible looking. Di- it, it, it was bad. <laughs> but I love that movie. I think, it, I think it looks fucking awesome. No, no I know. Yeah. That's why I like it. Was her name Sue? Like run around Sue? <laughs> Might have been. Yeah. She always says I had to. I started counting. I was like I lost count. But she started saying like Bloomin' all the time too. She's like. <laughs> Yeah, the blooming natives don't know how to. Yeah, is she from Australia? I was out there blooming my bean, and I didn't know what to do. <laughs> uh, but from Hell it Came is a classic B movie from 1957, directed by Dan Milner. Uh, this one may be known for its cheesy special effects and low budget production values, but its unique storyline revolving around a radioactive cursed tree turning into a murder machine yeah. has ensured its status as a call favorite among classic enthusiasts. In fact, uh, Stan Lee got the idea from Groot for Groot from this movie. Is that right? Yeah, he did. Wow. Now, Mike, the title, I know they were fighting with the production because they didn't want them using the word hell. Because oh. back, back then, hell was like, fuck. <laughs> they went from, from heck it came. Yeah. <laughs> from heck. Because, like I said, because, man, hey, especially, double in the, hockey sticks. Especially, <laughs> especially in the 50s, Hell was like fuck is now. I mean, dude, that's why you little Christian. Oh yeah, Yeah. that's why you hear a lot of lot of the movies that go go to H E double two picks. I mean, dude, hell was like a bad word to say back then. Hockey sticks, but close enough. Yeah, that's what I, they say. Oh, you know what? Yeah, that's what I heard is like uh, back in the Deadwood days, like they didn't say <laughs> fucking cunt all the time like that and everything. I guess like a really bad word was like dab nab it or like, you know, <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> For real? <laughs> it's like a dog on. They said like the worst thing you could say to someone is to be like, you some bitch. Yeah, You'd be like, what yeah. the fuck did yeah. you just say to me? <laughs> also, of course, is uh, inspired the Misfit song from Hell of Cain. Wow. Yeah. yeah. But he got grew from that, huh? Yeah, yeah, I feel you. So uh, From Hell It Came has a reputation as a bad classic. Uh, it was uh, one of only three films directed by Dan Milner, a former editor. Milner had previously made the forgettable atomic monster film, The Phantom from 1000 Leagues. So uh, the plot begins with a tribal prince of the South Seas Island named Kimu being falsely accused by of murder by his ambitious witch doctor cousin Tano. Kimu is alleged to have administered his father, the chief, poisonous medicine provided by a group of American scientists stationed on a field of laboratory on the island. Kimu protests his innocence, saying that the real poison was the remedies prescribed by another witch doctor in the tribe named Maranka. Are these guys supposed to be like Pacific Islanders? Yeah. <laughs> you you dudes are looking at that. I was like, why are the chickens just standing there? Because it didn't cross the road yet. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, waiting to cross the, road. the character of Maku, by the way, is played by a professional wrestler turned stuntman actor Chester Hayes, who is also the guy inside the Tabanga costume. Pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, Dude, I gotta say that that is a bad costume. It looks I like told something. You. I told you. It looks like something from a high school play. <laughs> have, you, have you seen this before? <laughs> no. It's pretty cool though. I like you, it, Mikey. Mikey, <laughs> I'll give you a spoiler alert. Huh. The greatest thing was the knife in his chest, but a dude had to kill it by hitting it with a with a gun. 
and and make and force them to go in deeper. That's how they killed the monster. <laughs> okay, I love that part. Love it. Yeah. So, uh, by the way, uh, that uh, the dude who's inside the Tabanga costume, uh, he's from Spring. <laughs> yeah, he's that's what they call it. He's uh, from Spring Valley, Illinois, which is like just west of Starved Rock. Uh, Pretty cool. Now, see, even a monster, and I had that hot chick in my arms. Oh, so I, I really, he, she'd really get some wood. <laughs> that's a little tree humor, Mikey. That might be an edit too. <laughs> just, just a little tree humor. That's you know little, what? This, I think little... it's an appropriate time to read the lyrics to the tree. <laughs> Go for it. The trees. Here he goes again. <laughs> By Rush. What album is this on? Anyways. There is unrest in the forest. Trouble with the trees. For the maples want more sunlight. And the oaks ignore their pleas. The trouble with the maples. And they're quite convinced they're right. They say the oaks are just too lofty. And they grab up all the light. But the oaks can't help their feelings if they like the way they're made. And they wonder why the maples can't be happy in their shade. There is trouble in the forest, and the creatures all have fled. And the maples scream, oppression! And the oaks just shake their heads. So the maples formed a union and demanded equal rights. They say the oaks are just too greedy. We will make them give us light. Now there's no more oak oppression, for they passed a noble law. And the trees are all kept equal by hatchet, axe, and saw. Thank you, Getty. Continue. Please. <laughs> that was good, Mike, but I'm going to have to cut it all out because I, uh, I, I don't think YouTube will allow us to have that kind oh, of... Oh, right, uh, right. That's an edit. That's an edit for me. Let me tell you, Mike, that was a real hoot. <laughs> Getty Lee at his finest. Yeah. That could be Neil. That could be Neil Burt. Wait a minute, why am I getting shot? I didn't sing it. <laughs> that could have been Neil or Getty writing that. Moving one. on. Yeah. Please. Yeah, well, moving on. Uh, the film is sort of a woeful ignorance, like Mike was saying, about the culture it's supposedly portraying. Throughout the film, uh, uh, though the film is set on the Pacific Atoll, the behavior of the na uh, natives there seems to take uh, more from cliches of native uh, uh, African natives. The principal idea of the film involves the Polynesians using voodoo, for instance, although this was an African phenomenon, not something that ever extended to the Pacific region. The natives portrayed here are all kind of racial characters. Uh, they dress in sarongs and speak the same kind of, of uh, like pigeon English that uh, like movie engines do, you know, like, I run quick, now, go! Yeah, these guys don't yeah. look Polynesian to me, a lot of them. Some of them, I'd say maybe Mexican or Italian, but a lot of them... <laughs> I don't, I don't see Polynesian. No, it's definitely a lot of white people playing yeah. the role of yes. natives, yes. which uh, I don't think we've ever seen before. Have you yeah. guys? Yeah, right. <laughs> John Wayne. John yeah. Wayne. Yeah. The Conqueror. What a fucking douche. I'll be Genghis Khan. <laughs> Gather up the wagons, pilgrim. Uh, so after uh, seizing power as the new chief, Maraca sentences Kimu to be executed by having a knife driven into his heart. And uh, with even his wife turning against him, Kimu goes to his death promising vengeance, knowing that the true murderers of his father are Maraca and Tano. Um, after Kima is killed and after his body is placed inside a hollow tree and buried, a combination of a lightning strike and radiation from nuclear tests transform the Tabanga into a humanoid creature who seek revenge, seeks revenge on those who have wronged him. Uh, he also plans to overtake the island back, you know, back for himself. Would you want to be a tree monster, Mikey? No, I'm going to be a dendrophilia. I can have sex with a tree. <laughs> <laughs> you, ever, you ever fuck a stump? 
That's an edit again. <laughs> Sam, you got your work cut out for you again. I know. So um, even though From Hell It Came is supposedly a work about voodoo and a spirit manifesting via a tree, in other words, a supernatural monster movie, Dan Miller manages to wind in the reigning 90s, 1950s explain all of atomic radiation. Uh, this was a fatter, a trope that began with the hit of the atomically revived dinosaur film, uh, The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. Never saw it, I don't think. Oh, I loved it. Loved it. Oh, wait, you know what I have? Yeah, it's, uh, it explodes, yeah, out yeah. of like, the center of the... Yeah, he's, a real, he's real long. He's a longy guy. He's a real, is that he's pre, a real long, John. Is that pre-Godzilla? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I think it was before. Might have been, uh, yeah. Uh, 50s. Well, I think you know, so. No, I think Godzilla might have been 52. Somewhere uh, around there. There's a new Godzilla that came out recently. Godzilla minus one. Yeah, yeah. yeah I want to see that. Yeah, it was. I think that's Did, the secret. Um, I'm sorry. The uh, the second one out of the the Shin Godzilla franchise. Now, now, now yeah. that's when he's just all out bad. He's he's not friends with us anymore. Or uh, this was this is supposed to be the original original Godzilla. But did you see? We, did you see the new Batman? Yeah, yeah. Dude, who is that dude? He's huge. That's not the same kid, is it? What are you talking about? The new Batman. The new, the newest Batman coming out. Oh, I don't. It's, there's it's a new like the, one. It's like yeah, it's like this big muscle guy, and he's got like a big scar right here. I don't think I've seen that. Yeah, I seen the preview on Facebook. I hmm. just know the last one was uh, Robert Pattinson. No, it wasn't. Yeah. Not, not that. Not that guy. Not okay. that. No, it's, thought you were talking about guy. him. I was like, he no, ain't no. huge. No, this is a different guy. <laughs> this guy's huge. Oh, big muscle guy, and he's got a big scar. Batman's got a big scar now. Oh shit. Yeah, dude. We may have to check that out. Yeah. So uh, From Hell Came was also perhaps the first film to be set around the atomic tests that were conducted in real life by the, uh, by the Army, at the, by the U.S. at Bikini Atoll and the Marshall Islands during this area. So this is uh, after the Second World War, by the way. The Atoll was chosen by the United States as a nuclear weapons testing site, and all 167 of the Atoll's inhabitants were forcibly relocated. A uh, small island east to a small island east of the Bikini Atoll with inadequate resources to support the population. So the invader, uh, the islanders began experiencing starvation by early 1948 and were moved again, this time to a different atoll. The United States used the islands and the lagoon as the site of 23 nuclear tests until 1958. So today the land is uh, completely uninhabitable, by the way. Absolutely insane. Look at that, man. That is crazy. Just insane power, right? <clears throat> yeah, it is. Scary. So uh, the Tabanga... <laughs> <laughs> so the Tabanga uh, embodies the power of nature and the consequences of human interference with the natural order. Its transformation into a vengeful creature following exposure to radiation serves as a cautionary tale against scientific experimentation and nuclear power well, symbolizing nature's retaliation against human exploitation. But look at the things on his shoulders. They look like chickens that just didn't cook right. It's, <laughs> like, in there. it's like a bunch of senior citizens at the community theater <laughs> threw together some paper mache. <laughs> it's so funny, too, how they like they have all these grand themes and schemes and everything, you know, yeah, uh, plots yeah. for the movie. And then yeah. it turns out a fucking tree like this, you know, like I'm going to make a movie that really speaks something. Oh, about yeah. fucking wait, nuclear wait, radiation. Wait, wait, it's <laughs> speaking right to me. Mike, when he died and the tree guy just falls back, I was crying <laughs> laughing. It was hilarious. They probably couldn't get back up. They probably had to help him back up. It was fucking hilarious. Man. 
so uh, early on, when the Americans come across Kimu's grave, they find a tree stump growing out of it. They inquired to a native about how the stump could be growing out of the ground. The translator recounts a legend of an island chief who returned from the dead in the form of a vengeful tree monster called a tabanga. So that's what a tabanga is. It's a human spirit resurrected as a tree. Uh, the scientists determine that the tree stump is radioactive and has no pulse, so they remove it from the ground and bring it to their laboratory, perform some tests on it. Uh, when its pulse begins to weaken, they inject it with a formula to keep it alive, but by the next day, it escapes from the laboratory. Uh, despite the supernatural claims surrounding the Tabaga, Dr. William Arnold, the visiting American scientist, and the local doctor are skeptical. They aim to uncover the tree's mysterious origins while Maraca continues his nefarious plans for the tribe and the Americans. When I first saw the scene, I was like, I was watching it and I'm like, oh, <laughs> man, fucking snakes are crazy. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, fuck, dude, I hope the snake oh! doesn't, eat, doesn't eat the monkey. Don't let oh, that happen. Oh, one of Cleon's buddies. And then I saw the gun. I was like, please let the monkey use the gun yes, anything for anything. <laughs> but <laughs> oh, Ooh, he's got a look at that amoeba on his coolie. I was very disappointed when the monkey didn't use the gun. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, next, the Tabanga, <laughs> Kimu, becomes increasingly powerful and deadly. He throws her in there, Mike. <laughs> yeah, he kills his wife by throwing her into a pit of quicksand. It then finds Chief Maraca and strangles him in probably the worst strangulation in cinema history. I don't Look think he even touches his throat. Watch. <laughs> He breaking his ribs or something? Oh god. Mike, look at the way he's walking. Just like waddles back. <laughs> Dude. The guy can't even see out of that thing, probably. So, uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so after learning that Kimu has been resurrected as the Tabanga, the natives lure the monster into the pit, which they set aflame. Uh, however, the Tabanga emerges from the fiery pit and finds Tano, throwing him down a hill, causing him to be impaled on a plant below. <laughs> <laughs> Watch him walk away after this. I think it's funny. <laughs> waddle, 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 waddle. Don't tip over. Don't tip over. You know they got plenty of B-roll where he's just, oh, falling, just falling down, down that fucking hill. <laughs> Whoops, it happened again, fellas. Now, uh, in an attempt to stop the Tabanga, the Americans burn and shoot it to no avail, only to learn that it must be stabbed in the heart with a special knife and thrown into quicksand See in order to be stopped. <laughs> <laughs> so there's was, nobody in the costume when they did that. <laughs> <laughs> that you know what? I didn't think of that before, but there pro Mike's right. There probably wasn't anybody even in that. Oh my costume. god! How funny was that? <laughs> <laughs> they could have just had him on strings, like pulling the legs at. <laughs> oh my god! So uh, from hell, uh, from hell, it came distinguishes itself from the previous films discussed above in an important way. But unlike the plants in the early predatory vegetable films, with the exception of the thing, this tree can walk on its own in pursuit of its victims. A walking aggressive tree, however, is hard to depict convincingly, <laughs> as we saw, <laughs> and the effort to do so is uh, part of what has earned this film notoriety as a bad and unintentionally bad <laughs> B-film. So uh, just eight months uh, after From Hell It Came was released, the UK delivered its own low-budget plan horror, The Woman Eater from 1956, uh, 1958, I'm sorry. You guys ever seen this one? Never seen this no. one. This was kind of a late addition to the podcast here. So The Woman Eater, uh, like I said, released 1958. The film reflects the era's fascination with exotic locations and potential horrors of unchecked scientific exploration. 
uh, common theme in the uh, post-war period um, when interest in foreign and unknown territories surged alongside fears of technological misuse. So the film uh, leverages the trope of the mad scientist whose ambition leads to a moral downfall. It also touches on themes of colonialism uh, with the Amazon setting and the exploration, uh, I'm sorry, exploitation of its resources, as well as the objectification and endangerment of women. Uh, today's audiences may view the film through the lens of historical curiosity, analyzing its potential of gender roles and the aesthetics, uh, ethics of scientific endeavor. Now, um, at one point, uh, like a, a dude working on his car asks a woman for help, and she says she doesn't know shit about cars, and he's like, "Good, I hate mechanically minded women." <laughs> There's so much bad shit. Like, I, I hate to be like, you know, one of these things, but like, every woman in the movie is like a servant or a prostitute or a whore, <laughs> or like, <laughs> they're just constantly shitting on women. And it's, it's like, I think it's a decent movie, but it, yeah, it is like a weird look back into the past, you know. <laughs> So, underlying uh, messages there aren't there yeah so uh, uh like other british science fiction films of the time it's arguably arguably more direct in referencing the social and political issues therein than are its american counterparts but with certain issues of interest partially overlap in this instance the sexual dimensions of the monster's tree devouring of hot women and its parallel to predatory human male desire are evident so the mad scientist here is played by george caloris a British film and stage actor known for his performances in such films like uh, Citizen Kane, Papillion, Murder on the Orient Express, uh, Blood from the Mummy's Tomb, Antichrist, uh, Tower of Evil, and The Skull. Another great Freddie Francis movie. I've seen uh, Murder on the Orient Express, I think. Or mm -hmm. no. It's, it's um, Poirot. Uh, the character Poirot, the detective... Yeah. I, the uh, the first one I seen was Death on the Nile, but the same same character. I think the same actor too played him. Yeah, it was uh, I think we talked about <clears throat> the Haunting in Venice too. It was also yeah, part of that whole was, series that, that just came out. So they remade these films a few times, but the the I think the original one, uh, Death on the Nile, was uh, the same. I don't even know where I'm going with this guy. <laughs> <laughs> just edit that out. Just. Just stop me, please. Yes, so uh, these messages are conveyed <laughs> not only uh, through the ludicrous physical oh, design of the puppets. monster. He's got like two flailing. She ran right up to it. Yeah, emerging. Yeah, why would you do that? He, she was pushed into it, I think. Yeah, uh -huh. But uh, they appear to have like two phalli emerging from what appear to be eye sockets as well as uh, multiple other phallic limbs. Yeah. Um, and in its consumption solely of women, but also in the clear arousal of the male protagonist when he witnesses such consumption uh well at the same time in the film he's kind of losing all interest in his one-time lover that's a hell of a push it is into the tree it's like someone gave her the irish whip and threw her, threw her into dude. it he, he, that, that dude watches how philip seymour hoffman does the boom mic in fucking boogie nights he's like, oh, oh my god can i kiss you on the mouth do you like my car? Oh my god, I want you to sap in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the the film's allegories of consumption have clear dimensions of colonialism and class as well. Uh, the later not particularly char characteristic of the U.S. examples of botanical horror. So uh, the plot commences at the London Explorers Club, where a well-off gentleman named Dr. Moran uh, tells the other members about a tribe in the depths of the Amazon jungle, which has a miracle-working juju 
that can raise the dead and that he's going to exploit it. So uh, Juju, by the way, is a spiritual belief system incorporating objects such as amulets, blood sacrifices, and spells used in religious practices in West Africa by the people of Nigeria, Benin, Togo, Ghana, and Cameroon. So Juju charms and spells can be used to inflict either bad or good Juju. According to some authors, it is neither good nor bad, but its magical power, or I'm sorry, magical properties may be used for constructive purposes as well as for nefarious deeds. So you ever uh, had any bad juju put on you? You know what I did because Cleon hated that scene because those were all ape, ape skulls. <laughs> I've, you know what? I've heard that. I've heard that. that bad juju. That, that bad juju. But if you, if you two dudes remember, now, I first learned that voodoo can also be used for good. Because uh, Pam Greer was good in uh, Scream, Blackula Scream, and she was oh, she was yeah. the head of of uh, she was she was made uh, head of the 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 the, the uh, uh, group that was doing voodoo in there, and she was all for good voodoo. Yeah. And 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 another guy wanted her. Well, actually, Blackula wanted to uh, get rid of that that curse on him, and she could do it, and and it wound up you know it didn't happen. But there is good voodoo uh, out there. But that juju, the juju line, I've heard that a long time ago. Bad juju. Long, bad juju. I like the King Diamond album, Voodoo. Really? Voodoo. Is that bad juju? Stuff, yeah. Probably. I okay. heard uh, next year. I don't know if you've heard this or not, but apparently like either this year or sometime soon, it's been coming for a while. There's brand new King Diamond and Merciful Fate albums yes, coming out. Yes, that's the rumor. They're recording them both you think at the they same time. They're supposed to come out at the same time. I feel you. Yeah. That's yeah. what he used to do back in the day when he was on. Well, he's still on Metal Blade Records. Put out two albums every year: one with Fate, one with King. Yep, mm-hmm. fucking awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So moving on here, uh, it is there in the Amazon jungle that the mad scientist protagonist Doctor Moran finds the tribe and witnesses a secret ceremony in which a young woman, entranced by beating drums, is consumed by a large carnivorous tree. Uh, we also see Moran taking joy in seeing the woman sacrificed is her this, again. Is, is this in fast forward? It is, yeah. It's okay. kind of sped it up a little bit, okay. so we're not watching 10 minutes of fucking gotcha. <laughs> this scene right here. But yeah, she's, again, look at him. He's like, oh my God. Ooh. Yeah, but there's so many movies where they sacrifice women, dude. So many movies. He's like, I'm harder than a diamond in my vault right now. <laughs> <laughs> So, so nipples can cut glass. Yeah. So by the way, after witnessing the ritual, Iniri dies from jungle fever. Yeah. Hello. Yeah, so the film then picks up five years later, where we learn that Doctor Moran has brought his this ritual back to England with him in the form of the tree itself and a native assistant named Tonga, who was also the drummer for the rituals oh, in the no. Amazon. So how he acquired the tree and got the assistant <laughs> on his side is anyone's guess. <laughs> Uh, but the scientist has the rituals performed for his benefit that is feeding women to the plant. <laughs> Pushed her. Pushed her. He just throws her in there, Mikey. He, he gave her the Tongan death grip, too. <laughs> the, the Tongan death grip. Yeah. Like Haku. <laughs> so he also rationalizes that the experiments on the trees supposedly give life, uh, supposedly life-giving sap in the basement for all his small-time manner. Uh, will change the world when he declares that she'll become part of the plant <laughs> and, I, and from it I'll get the serum to bring back the dead to life. Uh, she won't have died in vain, which I don't know how you can how, uh, granted this is a little different because it's a life giving tree, something we haven't covered before, but it's like you gotta kill somebody yeah, to get life die. back <laughs> yeah, but are you the same when you come back, Mikey? Oh, we'll get I, to I, that. I, I don't know. Dudes! 
Now, uh, Dr. Uh, Moran's victims are young uh, local women who are apparently unfortunate enough in their social and economic status that they have fallen in with a scientist who in turn has very little worry that they might be missed. Uh, the scientist eventually gets his comeuppance, however, when he discovers that the natives did not completely divulge their secrets for it to him. And after killing his jilted lover, seen here, and servant, Margaret, um, what happens is he attempts to bring her back to life with the serum and what is clearly inspired by the Bride of Frankenstein. So in the laboratory, Moran brings Margaret back to life, but she drops dead before she can do anything or speak a word. Moran ponders this by saying... Body. No mind. He then uh, yells at Tonga that as people oh, cheated me. They gave me only half their secret. Yes, and Tonga responds defiantly. Our secret not for you. The brain for us only. Yeah, so basically uh, Dr. Moran can raise the dead, but the result is a mindless zombie. And by the way, I think like that last bit there is like, uh, not met, you know, when he says a brain for us only is not like for the tribe only. I think it's for like alive, you know, <laughs> the people who are alive, humans, the living only is playing God. Yeah. So, uh, Tonga then tries to feed the latest female victim to the Come tree, on. but Tongan fails <laughs> yeah, when Moranga defeats him in a fight, uh, Moran defeats him. Feeling cheated, he vows to destroy Tonga and the tribe's idol as they have destroyed him. So he finds and hurls a bottle of flammable chemicals onto the tree, sending it up in flames. He then attempts to flee the dungeon, but Tonga throws a knife, hitting him in the back and killing him. Tonga then kneels before the burning tree, worshipping it as it's consumed by fire as the film fades to black and the credits roll. <laughs> Dude, he got him good with that knife. Yeah, you don't grow up on the in the Amazon and not know how to throw a fucking knife. <laughs> Wait a minute, where are they supposed to be in the Amazon? No, here they're back in like a uh, the uh, the UK somewhere in Britain. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the way they ended it, like that. That's the way they ended it. So that's uh, yeah, that's a woman eater. That's a winner right there. Yeah. So while not as iconic as the other films of its time, the woman eater contributes to the genre with its unique blend of exploitation horror and sci-fi themes. Uh, its use of a man-eating plant prefigures later movies that explore similar concepts, such as The Little Shop of Horrors, which we'll be getting to on part two of our botanical terror series. Yeah, next week. All right. Uh, all right. Yeah. All right. It's a good start. Yeah. It is. You know, you know why? You know why? You know, this, this Sammy's on he's amazing. I see I seen on on um I don't know if it was Netflix or just a regular station that there's still a lot of natives and native islands islanders that have n no idea what uh, TV is, planes, trains, you know, uh, uh, machines, nothing. I'd say very few. Yeah, they're still out but there, but they're still they're still Amazon, there, man. They're un still there. Uncontacted tribes yep. un in the Amazon, uh, untouched by uh, 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 you know American and people and. Oh, yeah. And and a lot a lot of reporters and investigators say that uh, a, a lot of the women are and, and men are living longer. I bet you know, and and in their ways and what they're eating, you know, what they're drinking, what their beliefs are. They're eating people, dudes. They're headhunters. There's That's a great scary. story. Uh, one of the Rockefellers, I think it was Michael Rockefeller, <laughs> back yep. in the day, he went to one of these tribes and he was like an arrogant asshole about it, and he was like trying to take something from like a totem pole or something. He's like, "I'll just leave money here for you, right?" And they're like, "Fuck you, we don't want your money, dude." <laughs> yeah. So he, he took this totem pole and they fucking cannibalized. They killed him, dude. Well, really? Yeah. There's, there's they many, killed and made There's him. many theories on. 
that. I guess he was in uh, New Guinea or Papua New Guinea at the yeah. time. And I never heard that. Uh, th- at the time there, there were still some cannibal headhunter tribes. And supposedly he got captured by them and they got him. Or they enslaved him for a while. People went back there looking for him and they took pictures of like, you know, there's a bunch of tribal people and one white guy that's like, you know, like kind of hiding and stuff. So there's theories that maybe, you know, uh, they were trying to escape on a boat. He didn't make it or he fell out of the boat or they actually did capture him. Enslaved them. That's there. crazy. Maybe man. they maybe they ate him too. Yeah. Wow. If I had to eat somebody, I would eat a Rockefeller. You figure like <laughs> they say something like the bears that taste really good are bears that have been eating blueberries for years. I'm like a fucking Rockefeller. He's just been eating filet mignon, <laughs> yeah. fucking good food. Oh, a Rockefeller probably tastes good, dude. No, <laughs> no. You're a cannibal. Speaking of eating people, there's. I mean. I'm sure you've heard of the story of the Uruguayan rugby team that crashed in the Andes Mountains in the 70s. Just watch a I, brand I, new movie I, about yeah. that. I, so there's been a, fil- a few films made about it. The most popular one came out, I think, in 93. It was called Alive. Disturbing film. But this new one that's on Netflix is even more disturbing because it's... It's called Society of the Snow. Yes, and it's graphic. I mean, I, I knew that they were eating the dead spoiler alert but they in the movie they stripped the bones yeah but if you if you listen which a lot of people don't would arlie leamy when he when he expressed why they were eating people he he did that from the war because are the army i'm sorry army i'm sorry um he 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 says that he goes this is how you survive because he he had the two the two brothers in the in the barn and he goes you have to eat people you have to eat your your other oh you're talking you're talking the one texas chainsaw the texas Texas chain yeah and 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 then i thought i thought wait a minute was that in the original check to texas chainsaw why they were eating people because no because somebody was in the service and see that's that's why i think a lot of people didn't like those two that he was in because there was too much explanation, too much of a backstory of Leatherface and the the Sawyer family. Yeah. You don't need one. That's yeah. why that's what makes the original film so good. You don't know why Leatherface and his family are all fucking nuts. Yeah. You don't need to know why. You don't need explanations. We don't need backstories on Michael Myers and fucking Leatherface and everybody else. You don't you, need a backstory. You know what, you know, Mike? I agree with you up to the point where it, 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 it was something new added to the film, which kind of helped it a little for me. Yeah. For me. And and when he said that, because uh, I do know there, there was a, a lot of a lot of stuff, you know, that was written that that guys did do that. They were so fucking hungry, man. There was nothing else to do but eat each other. Well, what's what was that family? Uh, Sawyer Bean fam- or something? Sawney Bean family that was uh, the cannibals. They were, I think, in the mountains somewhere. Sawney. Oh, Bean. yeah. I know what you mean. Was it like, yeah. West, uh, you know, like Virginia and shit like that. They were Scottish, but then they came to America. I don't know exactly where it happened, but they people were like passing through, and they they cannibalized a few people. Yeah, yeah. Just that's like, also that Society of the Snow movie is fucking. Cool. We'll yeah. get we'll probably get into it like in a catching up episode. But it's yeah. like, yeah, they can't. Not only do they cannibalize people, they're like. You know, been out there for thirty days in the below yeah. thirty degree weather, yeah. and then they're like, "What the fuck is that noise?" They get hit by an avalanche. Yeah, two people I, die. I, then they're I, like, I, "Wait I, a minute, I, it's I fucking coming that. back." They yeah. get hit again. Yeah, it's like, just, come just on. Like, just like I seen brutal. this, I seen this episode. I forget what channel I was watching. The real photos are brutal. And they were talking oh, yeah. about. They were talking about. Is it true? Can uh, some of these guys uh, shrink heads? And and, <laughs> and and they were showing. They were showing actually actual footage of them you know, and how they did and everything, mm-hmm. but they never really said 
if it was true or not. Um, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I mean, that, that's some that, dude. These some of these village guys. I think it might, if any, it might have been one of those weird historical things where it's like yeah. it turns out someone who has like some kind of weird disease or some shit. You know, like yeah. that's the ones there. I, I would want to see it because you those don't. I don't like people with little heads. Because if you're shrinking somebody's little head, man, that's gonna freak me out. You've never made me aware of that. So, yes, but I thank did. You. When, when we when we were talking about Beetlejuice and and he made that, that made, <laughs> yeah. dude, that freaks me out. People with little heads, dude, that bothers me. Hey, what's going on? What's dude. going on? I'm shrinking, dude. That really freaked me out. You know, and the, and the guy that has a shrunken head, he's like this, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I was crying. That movie. I can't wait for the next one. Uh, I can't wait I'm, for that I'm next one. It's dude. Be, is Tim Tim Burton's directing? Is right? he? Is he? I think so. Yeah. Is he? Yeah. Hopefully, it's going to be just as good yeah. as the original. But but you and Sammy, you know, after we're done here, you you two dudes got to look up that uh, new Batman because he's he's huge. He's, so is it is it huge. is it a Batman movie or is it's, he it, appearing? And I I think I think this is supposed to be the second one of the one where the, the young kid what's the, the from the um, robert pattinson yeah i think i think it's the second one of that oh because if you remember at the end but it's who's not in, but who's it's, in the next cell sammy was it the joker yeah it was, that was the joker the, that was yeah. in the next cell i i think that dude did a good job that. too i think yeah yeah it was awesome you know what would sammy when i i had begged sammy i said sammy am i gonna like this uh, you know, I watched it. It took me a little bit, but the ending was awesome. Yeah, I just wish. Well, wasn't that supposed to be a deleted scene with him, the Joker, or a post credit scene? Yeah, it was a post credit scene. Oh, I, okay. I, I just <laughs> wish that that movie, the end, like like towards almost towards the whole end of it, was like the whole. If the whole movie is like the end, that would have been a fantastic film. Fantastic. So this new one is starring Robert Pattinson. No, no, I don't know who this new guy is, but he's buff, mm. and he and Batman has his big scar now. You know, and and I'm like, holy shit, because they, you know, I seen it on Facebook, because I'm I'm like you, Mikey. I'm, man, I'm, I, dude. I, if I start looking at Facebook, how I'm is that supposed to work though? He's like Playboy Bruce Wayne. They're like, he's, he's got well, the same fucking scars. Well, 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 you know what? They explain that in in. Uh, they were asking Adam West about that. They're like, okay, explain one thing: superheroes. You know, regular guys that like guy's the Green dead. Hornet. I know. Okay. This was this was back when okay. back when, uh, because Adam West, you know, I remember him in the first movie I seen was uh, Robin's Robin Cruise Robinson Crusoe on Mars. He that was that was one of the first times I seen Adam West. He was a, he was the second pilot, and he eventually died. And this other guy was Robinson Crusoe on Mars. And they explained they they had asked it was an interview with him saying, okay okay Adam, uh, explain. All these fights you get into and you never have black eyes, you never got a bloody nose, blah, 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 blah. Well, back then, you know, the, the Adam West just gave him the greatest answer. Buddy, this this is TV. <laughs> this is this is a fictionary, <laughs> fictionary <laughs> character. Well, William why Shatner, are you people uh, why are you people going so deep into asking that? Which was magnificent when uh um who was that um who was that kid that played Batman to the guy? Um, when they took it, to, when he took his shirt off, and he had like all these scars and and bruises. Oh, Christian Bale! Christian Bale, that was magnificent, Mike. Was I like that. I like that they showed that, and they showed that. Uh, I forgot what Batman was, what, which Batman movie it was when uh, um, uh, Morgan Freeman had to find a uh, of a thing that makes his leg work better because his legs were so fucked up. It's probably from, the one uh, where he fought Bane. Yeah. I mean, magnificent. It's got like an exoskeleton going on and you, shit. You know what? When when people over when they over examine movies that pisses me off, but I do see their point because it's like, okay, you know, like uh um 
like like I said, the Green Hornet and Batman, they got their asses kicked sometimes. Never had bruises. Never had broken fingers. Never, you know, where where are you tonight? They're just staying true to the I was about to bring yeah. up, like, William Shatner is famous for that. Like, you know, all these nerds at the convention, like, get up there and they're like, um, in episode three, um, four minutes and 40 seconds in, you did this and you did that. And, like, Shatner's like, who cares? Yeah, right. What the fuck do yeah. I know? I've never even watched Star Wars, guy. Yeah, like, yeah. Fuck, <laughs> fuck off. Star Trek. Star Trek, yeah. <laughs> you know what I, you know what I find I really Bruce interesting? Campbell's the same. You know what I find real interesting on a lot of movies and a lot of uh, interviews I've seen? They'll ask so many actors, when did you see the movie? I still haven't seen it. What? That that actually kind of pisses me off sometimes when we go to conventions and we sit down to watch the Q&A panels and the guy on stage will be like, I've never even seen the movie you're asking about. Or they'll get up there and they got the gall to say, I don't like horror movies. It's like, get the fuck off the stage. You're a piece of shit. Yeah. Why the fuck are you here? Yeah. Just to collect a paycheck? Like, yeah. don't you understand you're amongst hardcore fans and you got the nerve to say, I don't like horror movies at a horror movie convention? You're an asshole. Get off the stage. Who were they? I, they, they were interviewing somebody on Facebook and they said, uh, Even sign guys like <laughs> space music guy. <laughs> That's when you see him. The real creep do, come do you out. Know, do you know who was? Do you know who was one guy? Pulls out the sign. <laughs> there was one young guy that said he he very he just started watching his movie Home Alone was Macaulay Culkin. They interviewed him. <laughs> I bet. And they said Macaulay, you know, uh, do you do you like being the Home Alone kid? He goes, he goes, yeah. He goes, everybody recognized me, but I I never seen it, mm-hmm. and I don't remember. You know, he goes, you know, you know, when he watches, you know, when he first seen it, he's watching it when he goes to like a friend's house and they have it on in the background. And he's like, oh, I kind of remember that. And they're like, McCullough, you, you never sat down and watched your own movies. He said, no, some people don't do what that. kind of friends you got. They're coming over where he's like, you're like, fucking put on the movie, put on fucking yeah. home alone, dude. <laughs> right. Let's show them how big fans we are. Man, if I was in a horror film, that guy's a weird cat, man. Oh, dude, what's wrong with that dude? He looks creepier now than when he was little. He, well, he grew up weird, you know. Stage, you know, child actor. I'll, I'll tell you, that good son film that he did, <laughs> like good son, dude, that was crazy. dude. Like when he when he fucking uh, when he killed that dog, <laughs> I know these dudes hate that, hate that, but I ain't gonna lie to you, I laughed at that. <laughs> but when he threw the fake dummy over the over the over the bridge and it yeah. caused that big. <laughs> That was awesome. That was awesome. I love it. <laughs> I'd kill those two little motherfuckers, but that was pretty funny, Mike. <laughs> what did you say to Elijah? He goes, don't fuck with me. <laughs> and then when Elijah Wood was getting rid of all the food. <laughs> oh, that poor little kid. He got his ass beat so many times, though. He's trying to tell the family, hey, he's trying to poison you and kill you. <laughs> Trying to throw the kid over the cliff too, or something. They yeah, the mom has to let one go. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But Macaulay, you know what though, Mike? That was that was a fucking brutal ass movie. Yeah, that was a brutal ass movie, for the time. man. When he took when he took his brother's rubber ducky and he fucking hit it in his in in the in the tool shed, and the mom found it. I've been looking for this for years, and you had it. All oh, right, and, yeah. and he wanted it back, and then he threw it. Oh, well, he, 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 killed, he killed his little brother. Yeah, he yeah. killed it. Yeah. Yeah, and then he was gonna kill his little sister. Yeah, and when he threw her in the pond, yes. the, the, the 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 um ice skating. not not the, the not the ice that wasn't frozen yet. Yeah. I fucking I was crying laughing so fucking hard when he spun her around. And he just flung her in, there. and then you see her through the ice. Like, oh, 
my God. I was hoping they'd hit a stick and pull her out like this. <laughs> she just went right <laughs> Oh, I wish they, I was a they, stunt they double. They cut her out like the yeah, thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, black uh, but, of ice. But I would have laughed even more if the guy would have saved her with a stick and brought her up and she's... <laughs> To get the, the giant net out. Yeah. Oh, my God. An old vaudeville hook. Oh, my God. That would have been funny. Oh. Well, I think that's all we got for today's yeah, episode. That's everything. Yep. <laughs> so thank you all for listening, streaming, and subscribing to us on Facebook, Spotify, Instagram, iTunes, and watching us on YouTube. On Tubio. Uh, and we got the email. Send us an email. Send us the email. Uh, last three rows of horror at gmail.com. So stick around. We got more plant horror coming for you. Plenty plant horror. Plenty. Thanks. Keep it horrorific. Bye. Hey, guys. Right.